The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The last time あ、歩き慣れてきた日々も問うた夢は安泰な暮らしだが仕事ぶつけ Hello, you're listening to the Talking Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined here with Chris. Yo. Today's episode is our second parter of our summer 2019 anime season reviews. We have quite a bit to go through here. I know that we front heavy loaded our first parter. Sam, that ended up being like a very long episode. Uh, this one is more probably the stuff that, yeah, there's a couple in here that are big hits, but there's a lot in here that are probably the ones that nobody really paying attention to. So that's what makes it more interesting is that when we sandwich everything that nobody's watching in the middle of Dunmachi and all the mid-season preview, review kind of things we're doing with, like, Vinland Saga and Fire Force and stuff. So it forces them to have to listen to all these ones that nobody has even paid attention to. There you go. But I think that's, the, I think that's the more interesting things. I, th- I think I find more fascination with learning about things I've never really touched than things that everybody is already saying is great for whatever reason. So rather than listen to us kind of repeat everybody else, <laughs> you can kind of get a cool... Uh, idea of things that you may not have paid attention to. So there's stuff in here that I think are pretty surprising. So you agree or disagree? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so yes, we have going on this episode is, is it wrong to pick up Girls in a Dungeon Season 2? Do you love your mom and her two-hit multi-attacks? Or multi-target attacks. I'm sorry, I don't want to get that wrong. Uh, Grand Belm, the demon girl next door. How heavy are the dumbbells you lift? Copcraft. Alpharetta from Commonplace to World's Strongest. And a note on that one, technically reviewing it when there's still one more episode left. So I think we've pretty much got an idea of, of our thoughts on it based on that. But I do technically wish that was a little bit more. They're getting to something I've been waiting for the entire season, <laughs> technically. That's all right. Uh, Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, season one, hopefully. Season one. Hopefully, this is season two. And uh, Are You Lost is our last one in that list. And then, like I said earlier, uh, we'll get hit on uh, the mid-season reviews of Vinland Saga, Dr. Stone, and Fire Force. So, 
Yes. Are you ready? Excited? As as excited as I'm going to get. <laughs> we just got done recording a long fairy cast, so at least we're warmed up, but at the same time we might get tired by the end, but... Yes, let's let's dive into it. We have our first one. Is it wrong to pick up Girls in Dungeons Season 2? Or Dungeon ni dai wo matumeru no wa machigateru daru daru, I guess, ka 2. This one streamed on Crunchyroll and High Dive. Ran for 12 episodes. They already have a Season 3 confirmed, so there you go. This video is JC Staff, the source of the light novel. The genres are action, adventure, comedy, romance, and fantasy. And this one, for those who don't know about Danmachi, of course, we're going to be talking about season two. So, you know, soft spoilers there because we're going to talk about characters that technically still exist that could possibly not have existed. But anyways, uh, of course, for those who don't know, it's, it's, it exists in a fantasy world. No, it's not any sekai. <laughs> I've heard like five people this week talk about how Danmachi is any sekai. It's not any sekai. It is a fantasy world that has game mechanics strictly in the idea that I would say like the only game mechanic I really, really would mention is the fact that they have these goddesses and goddesses that came down from heaven to earth. They gave up their powers so they would live amongst the humans and they create familias and familias are kind of like clans or guilds. And each one of these gods and goddesses will have their own little clan or familia. And the gamey mechanic, quote-unquote, is that when they go out to the dungeon and they fight and they gain experience, they can come back and their god or goddess will then look at their, like, life that they have. And, like, they'll be on their back or whatever and they, they are able to envision it and it shows them their stats and how they're getting stronger or abilities they may have gained. That's literally the only gamey mechanic that they actually have in this. Other than that, it's just basically a fantasy world that's kind of... Circle uh, centered around these familias that are all kind of different groups that are going and tackling the dungeon or doing other things. And the first season, it was really kind of focused on meeting Bell, who is the only member of Hestia's family, uh, familia, and how he is struggling to. He, he ends up almost getting killed, but he's saved by this girl named Ice Wallenstein. And he then becomes obsessed with Ice, and he wants to get stronger so that he can fight alongside her, basically. And so he's just just trying to struggle to, to level up and then the big things happen later on in it. And in season two, I guess the best way to kind of nutshell synopsis season two, there's three arcs to it. There's the, I'm, I'm, I'm giving them names. They're not really, I don't really know their actual arcs, <laughs> but they're, I call them the, op, the Apollo arc, which is where uh, one of the gods, Apollo, uh, he gets really obsessed with things. And then he, he often destroys things just trying to, gain that one thing he gets obsessed with and he gets obsessed with bell and to get back at hestia who seemingly rejected him back in heaven and uh so he basically calls war upon them and then eventually they go into this big uh games that they're gonna play to to see who'd win uh later on there's the ishtar uh familia arc which is where they kind of really focus on the ishtar familia which is a Familia that's really kind of built around the idea of having like this big, huge section of the town that is nothing but basically every sexual desire you ever want. It's like a brothel area, essentially. And then, uh, and of course, Ishtar, the leader of the Familia, being obsessed with Bell because everybody's obsessed with Bell this this season. And then uh, later on, I I guess I'd call it the Goddess Love arc. It's just a, a really quick arc where somebody from the outer area, a god from the outer area who's not allowed in the town for some reason. He's constantly raging war against uh, the main town. Uh, wants to steal one of the goddess or goddesses and, and uh, use it to their gain. And everybody chases after him. And then 
they discover this little small town where they meet somebody who has fell in love with a god before and how that can reflect on Bell because he's a ditherer. <laughs> not really, he's not really ditherer. They kind of really reveal the fact that he just has an extremely high regard to gods and goddesses and feels that they're not allowed to touch each other, basically. And even though Hestia is thirsty as hell for him. So, yeah. What's your thoughts on season two of Damachi? Um, I really liked it. I I I, I love that it, it broke into a quite a few characters, namely uh, Hestia. It, it dug into a couple of other characters that are on the side that I don't really want to dig into because of the uh, spoilers that it might bring. Um, the Ishtar stuff it really expanded on on the familia concept. It did did a lot of fun to upgrade Hestia's family per se. So it, it had a lot of really cool stuff going on in here. It, I, I had a lot of fun watching it, um, and I enjoyed the arcs very thoroughly. I think the 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 weird thing I kind of noted, I don't know, probably halfway through it is like this is like dungeon. Uh, is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon and there's no dungeon? <laughs> like I don't think they spent. In, there was like a small little snippet where they went down there at one point, and that's where Dell got captured at some point. Like other than that, there was like no touching the dungeons the entire season. It was all focused on the familias, and of course the first arc really being uh, strongly focused on Hestia and ending up you know building up her familia more than we had before. And it was kind of cool in that regard, but also at the same time frustrating. The entire Apollo arc was kind of frustrating. The idea that. It was the arc that made me fall in love with certain characters for their resolve to help Bell, and it was the also the the situation because everybody was afraid of Apollo. It was also the situation that made me hate a lot of people because their unwillingness to help Bell and Hestia. It was like we had the brave and the cowards, and it was like wow, these are characters that go down into dungeons and fight colossal beings, and they're literally c- cowering at the thought of raging war against Apollo. And it's like that was – I don't know if that was his intention to show that. I mean they all technically did help in their own way in secrecy. A lot of them did. But there was a lot of them that were like, no, we don't get involved. Don't get involved. I am mean, the entire time I'm sitting, but you're probably next. One of you are probably next. It's just Hestia's turn now. And granted there was other people that were more frustrated and, and willing to – and pretty close to just straight wanting to kill him at that point. But they weren't doing anything Partly because I think some people are more interested in just toying with Bell. A lot of people just love toying with Bell. And I don't know. That was my frustration that entire arc, which is that I felt like, why is nobody doing anything? And these are people that have all fought with each other before and have all faced bigger uh, obstacles. Why is now everybody's cowering? But that's that. That was that was a side. Other than that, I I did like how it concluded. It was it was a pretty cool little arc. And like you mentioned, it was a really cool arc to kind of show. Hestia finally getting something. Hestia finally building up her familia because it's always been kind of the damp little basement the entire time and just Belle and just them too. And of course, Hestia is probably perfectly fine with that. But just seeing that that familia finally show some growth was was really cool. Uh, Besides that, it was technically it had the best episode in the entire season. And that arc was the best episode. And that was Lily's episode. And it was funny because up until that point, I really wasn't too sure about the season. I was like, okay, it's just more Don Machi, just more Don Machi, but less, I guess, keto moments <laughs> with the with the fire ball or whatever. And um, and it wasn't really following any characters that I was truly interested in. But it, like suddenly out of nowhere, 
you have this moment where everybody's kind of starting to have to decide to help Belle or not. And Lily finds her resolve in that moment. And it was, I, at first I was going, okay, here's one of those kind of moments where you don't have a choice. And then, but friendship struggles through, but no, the way they portrayed it was really solid. I think, I think her ability to stand in front of Soma, um, uh, her, uh, God from her, uh, familia was just truly awesome. I, I thought that was like the, the pinnacle part in the entire season was that moment. I was like, I, I think I was the time I was like, I texted Chris, you before our first impressions, you have to watch this episode because we were about to do our first impressions. And, uh, I think at the time he, he agreed. It was like, that was, yeah, that was the best episode right there. It was solid. Um, outside of that, going on into the, uh, the Ishtar familia, I, I don't know. I am so conflicted on that arc. It was, it was interesting. The idea of getting the political insight into the familias, like this is, and they were, or we were already getting it with Apollo. We were already seeing that there was certain people that hated Apollo and they wouldn't do certain things. They were afraid of stirring the pot basically. But that was like the the pinnacle moment where you really did kind of see uh, a lot of the, the politics of the familias. That was like the entire season technically was just the politics of the familias. But it just did – it wasn't that interesting. It was really just a lot of here's Haruhime. We need to just go get Haruhime and – but no, we can't fight the Ishtar family. And then, oh, here's this crazy fine girl who's like breaks all men and – titillation left and right and bell blushing left and right and and screaming and running away from hot girls it just it was just not a very interesting arc if i look back at it now like it was it was entertaining through the entire season don't get me wrong but looking back on it now i just feel like i got nothing out of that arc in the end it just felt like a waste outside of it was cool what they were doing with Haruhime, what the what the familia was doing with Haruhime, when they when you finally get the big reveal of what they're doing with her, it was like, okay, that's kind of interesting, really screwed up, but kind of interesting. But it it all kind of culminated to just a really cool last episode of that arc, like seeing what they did with Freya. I I, I still, even though she doesn't really do much, I still really like Freya because she really seems like that character that is always in the background that is kind of feared. But the rest of the arc was like, it, it felt like I could have probably skipped so many of those episodes and I got the same value out of it. But and that last arc felt like a filler, honestly. It just really felt like, uh, even though it was technically a huge change to Bell, like Bell finally has changed his mentality, hopefully, <laughs> it did feel like kind of a, a throwaway episode. Or, I would say probably the first episode was, was a kind of a throwaway, and the second episode was like, oh yeah, now Bell kind of gets maybe he should view Hestia differently. That was about it. So, agree to disagree with any of that? Some of you're it. oddly quiet. Some of it, I I agree with some of it. <laughs> well, I pretty much gave all my opinions on it. So, all right, that's um, that's is it wrong to pick up Dun- Girls in Dungeon season two? It's still good at Damachi. Like I said, I was still entertained all the way through. It's just I had my I had my issues with certain arcs and how they didn't really feel like much really technically happened but it, it's still always fun in the end even if even if i don't get anything out of an episode i still am entertained in watching it it's always still a lot of fun and it just has so many characters and so many fam- familias and i love seeing them do things with them it's just it's it it frustrates me when it seems like their their actions are countered to how you've seen them before 
like I said, I I'm still frustrated with with Loki's family, familia. It's like really you guys did nothing. It, that that was kind of I don't know. I don't I know them. Fi- well. I had to figure out, out a way to take out. So yeah, <laughs> to make them the fight characters. on their own for a while. Yeah. So there you go. Next one we have is: Do you love your mom and her two-hit multi-target attacks, or oh my gosh, Sujo Kogaki ga Zentai Kogaki de Nikai Kogaki no Okasan wa Suki Deska? This one streamed on Crunchyroll and Funimation, ran for twelve episodes, done by Studio JC Staff. Sources a light novel. Genres are adventure, comedy, fantasy. And the big person that worked on this one, notably, is the director Yoshiaki Iwasaki, who did work on El Hazard 2, Hayate the Combat Butler, Last Period, Love Hina, and Familia of Zero. So yeah, this one follows Masato, and it opens up with him at the dinner table, and he's filling out a survey that's asking about his relationship with his mom, what does he think about his mom, uh, does he think things would change his relationship with his mom? Does he think it would change if he possibly went on an adventure with her? And at the same time, he's doing that. His mom's cooking and then kind of looks over his shoulder and embarrasses him. And following this, a girl named uh, Shirase, <laughs> Shirase shows up. And she's with some kind of government organization thing. And he, she's talking about how, oh, yeah, you filled out the survey and we have this new this new game we want you to try out and, and it, it's got this new service and you can try it out and he logs onto his computer and it sucks him into this fantasy world. And he's thinking, oh man, I'm getting isekai'd into a fantasy world. This is going to be great. Well, following right up behind him is his mom, Mamako. She flies into the world as well and joins him on his adventure, which kind of really frustrates him because was well, every man's desire in an otaku world is to be isekai'd to another world. He fell, uh, do the heroic deeds and and be surrounded by his little harem. Well, his is terrible because he's got his mom with him all the time. And not only that, but once they get there, the king says, we need you to save the world. And oh, by the way, we're going to give you a secret treasure weapon. Choose one. Well, she walks up and grabs two like overpowered swords and destroys everything before Masato can really do anything. And that frustrates him. So join him on his adventures. He goes through this world and has his mom foil everything for him. And then he meets other people that join his party. And, um... Yeah, it just turns into a, like a fix a mom a week kind of thing. Not really. It's more like fix a mom arc. There's only like three of them. So yeah, what's your thoughts on your mom's two hit multi target attacks? This one was a mix. Uh, it was it was very mixed bag. Half half the time I was loving it, and on the other half I didn't. It just was falling very flat for me. I. I, I really did like the fact that what it ended up being was what I was hoping it would be was kind of a mom versus mom in in a lot of different situations where um, two moms would effectively battle it out battle wheels against each other of who is a better mom and that in itself was a really cool concept and I really liked that for in and, and I like that in this this show for that. But some of the times it it just kind of really fell flat when it kind of lost its way on how it wanted to resolve some kind of a situation, especially the last arc, which there was aspects to the last arc that I really liked. But it also was one of the ones that fell really flat on its face. It just it dragged out too long. It never got it took too long to get to the point. And when it finally got to the point, it was like. Yeah, that was cool, but 
it took too long to get to here and your your kind of climax isn't as impressive as y- you think it is. So that's where where I kind of get frustrated. Other than that, it was really fun. I like a lot of the goofy jokes, the um some of the silly things, especially the the some of the jokes involving mom. It it was it was a lot of fun for the most part for me. The last two arcs really killed it. <laughs> and I do agree. It's just that I think in our first impressions, I was I was really okay with it. Like at the very beginning, it was like okay, his mom is like hot as heck. <laughs> like like there, there's no getting around it. To use the milf term, whatever you want. His mom was moe perfection, and of course that is the frustration. And it's funny seeing a lot of reviews of this show on like my name and this when I was putting this outline together, where they're like just. You know, Masato is a total jerk to his mom. Zero out of ten. <laughs> like, I agree. I guess I could take. The, I guess you could uh, hate review a an ep- a show based on the fact that you just despise the fact the main character is such a jerk to his mom. But he gets over it real quick. It, it seemed like it at the very beginning. Yes, it was like one of those moments where you're like, this guy needs to die because he made this girl cry. But he he kind of gets over that. Over I don't know. He did it like twice in like four episodes, and he never does it again. So. I guess there's that. But no, I I got a kick out of it in the early segments, mainly the idea that it, I liked the the goofiness that was this overpowered mom and how everybody kind of reacts to it and how she kind of just breaks everybody and just forces things upon people that just seems really out of place. Like she's forcing everybody to do a meeting inside of the bathhouse naked together and it's like this mom is great but crazy at the same time. And then and then Medi's arc comes up and I was okay with it for like the first half of the first episode for that arc. And then it just kept doing the same thing over and over again for what seemed like four episodes. It was way too long. Her and her, her mom and how she was constantly trying to trick people and, and get her to be the best student ever. It just got tiresome real quick. And then, it wasn't remedied by the next arc when you got into them going to the tower and and fighting the kids that all revolted against their parents. It was like it was so boring. I I, I think the only thing that really got me through those last two arcs was that every time Sarashi showed up, I would just for some reason get a huge kick out of her saying Sarashi every two seconds. And um, Amante was probably the only thing that I enjoyed about the last arc. She was just absolutely a mess. She was constantly falling over herself falling into her own traps and just constantly yelling out what her plan was, even though she says she's not going to tell them their plan. I got a kick out of her as well, but everything else was extremely boring and everything, every fight was always resolved with, Oh, mom got a new ability. It's the super light of don't do this. And it's like, okay, I I got that joke. This is all you have. So it really does come down to one of those things where it's not like it was a bad show, but I was kind of pretty bored half, half of the show. It, it just it seemed like to use that whole concept again, the concept that they had this really brilliant idea for the first volume, and then it's like you had nothing with this, did you, for the rest of this whatever many art, uh, volumes they've done because you're you're essentially relying on the same ideas you had at the very beginning without really kind of mixing anything up. It just seems like your concept is repeating itself. I guess the other problem that I had with this entire season was we never got anything for Porter. <laughs> Porter didn't get an arc, and I wanted Porter to have an arc, and she never got an arc. Instead, we did the stupid moms trying to get their children back from the tower arc. Why didn't we just replace that entire thing with a Porter arc? Uh, but I'm kind of starting to hint the idea that she might not have 
apparent. Maybe she's part of the system or something. I don't know. But yeah, I was I was pretty bored for a lot of the show, and I, I and it frustrates me because I was really excited for the show. I, I the TV and the art for it looked great. Mamako, she's like best mom ever. I still think she's best mom even after watching the entire show. I think she's just absolutely adorable um, ever. So it's just nothing else really worked for the show. It it just kind of kept using the same jokes and fell flat. So it is what it is. But that's that's where that's where I stand with with this show. I, keep in mind for warnings for people. Yes, it gets pretty uh, pretty strong with the etchy stuff early on. It kind of seemed like it chilled out with it halfway through it. But yeah, the earlier segments of it, I mean, they have a figure of her uh, being doused with the slimes, the acid slimes. <laughs> that's how, that's how popular apparently that scene was. But yeah, keep, keep that in mind going into it. It, it doesn't, doesn't shy from the etchy the early on, but like I said, it kind of chills out in later parts. So yeah. Yeah. That was the other thing. Miami list has it scored lower than hentai. <laughs> if anything's lower than six, it's lower than a hentai. It's like a 5.2, even though we don't care about Miami list ratings. So, it is what it is. Yeah. 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 Do you love your mom and her two hit con- two two hit multi target attacks? I want to keep saying two hit combo attack. Seems like a better option. All right, next one we have is Grand Belm. Did you watch Grand Belm? No. So the one this one. Grand Belm. Dream on Crunchyroll ran for thirteen episodes. Done by Studio Nexus. It was an original. These genres are magic fantasy. I put mecha in there as well. Uh, maybe there's some psychological in there as well. The director that was working on this one was Masaharu Watanabe, who did work on ReZero and Wakaba Girl. The series composition was done by Juki Hanada, who did work on Love Chinibi and Other Delusions, Sound Euphonium, Nishisho, Rosen Maiden, Steins Gate, Zero, Wakaba Girl, and Bloom Into You. The character designer was, of course, Shinichiro Utsuka, who, of course, did work on ReZero and Conception. So, obviously, where that particular art style comes from. Uh, yeah, this one follows a girl named Mangetsu. Mangetsu, it's, it seems like she kind of goes out of her way in order to kind of get acceptance from people. You kind of see her at the very beginning. She's making, like, tons of lunch boxes and taking them to school and handing them out to a bunch of girls that don't want to get their own damn food. So they go to Mangetsu and get food from her. And she does a lot of things that other people don't want to do. She cleans up the classroom after everybody, all to kind of... Not that she's getting bullied, but more the idea that she just really wants to help people so that they all kind of uh, acknowledge her because she feels like she has nothing in life. Uh, at some point, she gets transported seemingly into like an alternate dimension that's kind of parallel to our dimension. And there's it's really dark and there's these big mecha things that are all attacking each other. And she's freaking out. She doesn't know why she's there. And then some girl named uh, Singetsu, which was piloting one of these mecha things, ends up finding her and, and protecting her and kind of says, why the hell are you here? And she's like, I don't know. I just suddenly showed up here. Well, that whole reality kind of comes to a conclusion and they get warped back into the regular world again. And Magetsu finds herself waking up in somebody else's bedroom. It's it's Shingetsu's house and she comes up and says, okay – we got to find out why you were there. And she's like, well, I don't know why I was there. She's like, well, you were a, a, you know, a person from another a family of mages. And she's like, no, I don't know what, what that is. So you come to find out essentially descendants of mages will have the opportunity to be selected to go and fight each other in order to be kind of acknowledged by this uh, central 
hub, I forget what exactly what it was called, the central thing where all of, all of time's magic is all kind of being stored and locked away. Don't ask me why, even though mages a long time ago all sealed away magic because they feared it. They all sealed it away, and for some reason everybody has magic to fight each other to, to, to decide who gets the magic. But that's the case. I didn't really want to question that too much. But yeah, a thousand years before, they felt danger and magic, so all these wizards sealed it away. And now girls fight each other to see who will end up getting the, the magic. And basically their wish granted because there's always a wish from winning. So they all kind of fight in these mecha things called Armanoxes. And of course, Mangetsu gets one because she's seemingly special in some way. And they all kind of fight each other. Uh, the. Okay, starting out, this show. I I wanted to give it a shot because, like, as usual, uh, Studios Original, I always want to give Originals a shot because I always feel that there's always something really special with them and unique. And I think my big turnoff for the beginning section of it was that even though the mechas are all not CGI, this is not CGI mecha stuff. They actually hand-draw the stuff, which was really kind of a, a unique thing that maybe want to kind of push to finishing it as well. Um. Even though they were hand-drawn, they were all, like, I guess I can't give them too much credit because they were all chibi-sized, so it's not like they had much motion going from them to begin with. They're, like, these really kind of uh, SD Gundam-looking type versions of mechas, and I was really turned off by that because I wanted it, – it, it was seemingly serious, but these, like, really chibi cartoonish mechas were fighting each other. Getting back into it. I actually, when I finally got, went to go back watch it again because I heard some kind of hubble about the 12th episode or something like that, so I wanted to go check it out. I started over from the beginning again because I was kind of forgetting who everybody was because there's a lot of there's a lot of characters kind of thrown at you at the very beginning, and I I started grasping a little more. I was actually more interested in it. Now, the pros, this show does well and kind of outside of Anna. The characters feel like they fit a very kind of uh, overly serious and dark tone. Like, it's not like a, a goofy, weak cross kind of thing where the characters act out of place, besides Anna. <laughs> they all feel like they are genuinely struggling with what they're going through. They all feel very natural. They feel very fun to watch. They feel very tragic when they're in trouble. They feel very uh, conflicted when they're dealing with strong situations. They all feel very natural in the environment they're giving. And usually when you have a really dark battle royale type setting you often feel like the characters are out of place and they don't fit their environment minus anna <laughs> i'm gonna keep saying just keep anna out of that entire description there um let's go to a con then let's let's bring up anna anna was easily the worst part of this entire show now granted i loved anna's story her and shingetsu's story when they finally get into it their story was actually really good I because they essentially have this concept that some families that don't have such a good ability in magic might, you know, merge with each other in order to kind of help, uh, I guess, support each other. And getting into that whole thing was really cool. Getting into why Anna hated her so much didn't make much sense, but I did like how it kind of all kind of flowed together. It was really cool. But at the same time, it drug out way too long. I, I remember when I first seen her in the show with a stupid, crazy, psycho eyes. I was like, okay, hopefully this doesn't last long. Because hearing her scream, Ernest, ah, which was her, her name that she had in the family was Ernest. Uh, what was it? Ernest? Ernest? Ernestina? 
Ernest, Ernesta? Ernesta? Her yelling Ernesta over and over and over and over again was like, oh, okay, this is – they're going to probably have this girl exit real quick. No. I think she was there for like – I don't know. I don't want to say how long because it just it, – even though I'm saying it by saying it was way too long, it felt like the stories of every character were great and how they intermingled was really great. But it felt like certain ones just drug out, not too long, exceedingly long to the point where I'm like, just stop already. I get it. This is not that you're not you're not introducing anything new. You're just repeating it over and over again. And that was my struggle through the entire show. There was two arcs like that that felt like they lasted way too long. But again, outside of those ones, everybody else's story was great. Kuan's story was great and her sister was great. Uh, show. Her inner her connectivity with some of the characters was great, especially Kuon. Uh, Nene's story was great, and her relationship with the sister and everything like that. Everything worked really well, and they were all very unique stories. They all fit the environment. You just had these two very drug out stories that took center stage for the most majority of the show that were way too long. So, yeah. That aside, I got over the chibi mecha thing um, after a while, so that was that was fine. Um, I liked a lot of the characters, like I said, the, the struggles they had, there was a cool twist towards later parts, nothing, you know, extravagant, but it was, it was still good nonetheless. And that's, that's what it is. It's just, a not so we cross battle royale type, no psychic characters, except for Anna and some decently good plot twists towards later part that all kind of wrap up into a, a decent bow in the end. I, w- I wouldn't say it was a a fantastic ending, but it was, it was a decent ending. I guess that's my final negative I want to get into. I I think I'm glad that reminded me of that. I think my only struggle, I did like some of the tactics of some of the battles, but far too many of them, especially the pinnacle parts. Like, yeah, you're, you're common fights with each other that often sometimes leave in draws. They're okay. But there was a lot of the more story heavy, finishes of battles like this battle's end is a huge part of this character's story how these two which one wins at the end of this is very important every single one of them felt very because and that really frustrated me there was some fights where i'm like holy crap this character's finally getting its their their comeuppance this character's finally having her victory and then it always not that i don't not that i'm mad about who wins or who loses but how they lose or how they win is always so because. Like, it's like suddenly out of nowhere, character flies out of here. Other character gets out of mecha, goes to stab him. Oh, stabbing doesn't work. And this is instead. And it just, it, I face palmed every time. It, none of it made, not, I don't expect magic to make sense, but a lot of the cases, it was just very kind of because this character needs to continue in the next episode. They obviously didn't die right here. And, it, and that was really frustrating. That was just, Magic, yes, but the the concepts that they're introducing and how they overcome something just is outside the realm of the magic they've shown anywhere else in the show. And it just becomes a they win because. And that really frustrates me. I like to have a reason why somebody wins or why someone loses. I like to kind of understand why they win or why they lose. And these ones just – it didn't make no sense. So I just kind of gave up after a while. So I have a lot of mixed feelings on this one as you can tell. Mm-hmm. I think overall, it's a solid mecha show. It's a solid kids battle royale type show. Um, 
I, I, if you like mecha or you like battle royale shows with kids, I, I think it's a solid one. Like, just be, be aware. It's very heavy. It's very, uh, graphic. It's not really graphics. It's just very kind of psychological. It's very, like Chris kind of points out, lolly, uh, uh, torturing kind of stuff. So keep that in mind coming into it. But, and it looks good. And overall, it, it looked very good. I just, I had these, these three or four major struggles, which is the dragging on and the, the because endings, the fights, that was really the only real big hanging points for me. Other than that, I liked a lot of the characters and I liked a lot of the stories they kind of unfolded with the characters. So there you go. It's a suggestion for me if you like those kind of shows. Ernesta! <laughs> that was Grand Bell. Let's move on. To the demon, demon girl next door. This one is Machi Kato Mazuku. This one, Mazo Mazo Ku. This one streamed on High Dive, ran for twelve episodes. The studio is JC Staff. The source is a four comma manga. And the genres are comedy, magic, and slice of life. And this one follows a girl named Yuko. One day she is confronted in her dreams by one of her ancestors, which is a demon, Lilith. And Lilith tells her, "It's time for you to take action. You are the descendant of demons, and you need to go out there and defeat." A magical girl because you have to lift the curse that's upon your family that prevents them from having a what was a monthly salary of more than 400 yen or something yeah, 40 something bucks like basically that. or 400 dollars equivalent and uh yeah you're you're always gonna be stuck in poverty unless you go take out a magical girl and get this 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 curse lifted uh later on she nearly gets hit by a vehicle and a magical girl appears and stops the vehicle and saves her life and is momo a girl from her skull who she now declares to be her her enemy and that she has to take down. But the unfortunate thing is Zuko really sucks. Her power is terrible. She's always been kind of frail and not very athletic, whereas Momo's, like, really overpowered. But she's not... She's actually a really good girl. <laughs> so you have the fact that she's not very strong. She can't take out Momo with strength. And she struggles with fighting Momo because Momo's, like, a really good girl. And um, so, yeah, that's, um, that's their adventures is demon girl against medical girl and their conflict of fighting so yeah what's your thoughts on the demon girl next door this show was such a, a, a happy surprise it 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 starts out in the aspect of kind of flipping the entire story on its head by giving you the front row seat to the demon girl's side and for that matter you you really quickly fall in love with yuko because she's just absolutely one of those under under the uh just down and out uh underdogs that just nothing can go right for this poor girl and then you bump into the magical girl and it further flips the entire story on its head by by giving you both the the char- character that you really like going against another character that you really like and it just goes from there and it's just a hot mess of just crazy just how awkward can you make the entire situation where Yuko wants to do this to kind of release, like Andrew was saying, release herself from this, this curse from the light clan. The light clan is not as bad as it seems. And it just goes from there. And it's such a happy, just perfect show. I really, really enjoyed it. I, I, it really was quite the surprise for me. It was funny because at some point, <laughs> Mom was talking about the fact that she, you know, she might have, you know, if she doesn't 
you know, get stronger and, and fight against the demons, that some other magic girl might have to take over her area. If that's the case, they might end up attacking Yuko. And so they end up introducing another magical girl, and it's like suddenly I'm going, "Holy crap! Is this gonna like throw a big old wrench into everything?" And I'm like, "No, these magical girls are too nice. <laughs> like, it's, it's so surprising just how like pure they are." And it, I guess, it goes to show, yeah, technically, typically, magical girls are pure, and they are typically wanting to make, make friends with people that even are their enemies. I mean, even with things like Sailor Moon and stuff, often cases when they meet somebody that is the bad guy they they befriend them and then when it comes time for them to double cross them they're like no you can still be my friend let's be friends we don't need to fight kind of thing so it's funny that we kind of get this instant image of this idea of oh it's a magical girl so the magical girl obviously is going to kill yuko and they always turn out to be like the most purest of pure and it's really funny because i agree with everything you just stated obviously it was just i guess the the main to put it in a nutshell what this is as a comedy is that it is making fun of the tropes that are magical girl and the concepts of light versus dark. It is the this perspective of technically the Mao, and the Mao is it sucks, <laughs> not very good. And again, like you said, is the underdog and is is very weak and always struggling. I I, I got a huge kick out of this moment where uh, Yuko finally produces what would be yeah. the only case we've ever had of her with shooting off a magical projectile and it's this small little like marble size ball of energy and it just turns around and comes back at her and she Come starts back, running master. and she's like is it gonna hurt she's like well it'll feel like a it'll feel like an injection needle, yeah. yeah she's like oh those things hurt i'm getting out of here start running and yeah it's all calling out for her Come back, you go. that is it is is great in the idea that it's just it 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 plays off the fact that she's so weak. It plays off the fact that Momo is so strong, but yet so caring. They're so adorable to each other. I, I just want to, I want them to be happy and live forever together because they're so, so perfect for each other and so cute together. And it just, it does it the entire time. And it does it so well. It keeps it really fresh. Um, a lot of the, the enjoyment of the characters come in their kind of personality. Yeah. Momo's kind of very, very soft-spoken, but she does have character to herself. She's not like a soulless doll or anything, even though I thought that's what, what she would be early on. Uh, and Yuko is just a just a mess. She's always kind of very frantic. She's always uh, bumbling over herself. I, I love how they, they add to the characters with added um, sound effects to it. You always kind of have whenever she's snickering or something like that, it's always done in like the actual, the word itself. So she's always like... Uh, like munch, 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 you hear in the background when she's eating or something like that. It's these little added effects that kind of expand her character and make it a little more uh, entertaining and it, I guess more eccentric, I guess is the best way to, I don't know if that's the best term for it. It's just the presentation, everything's really well done. It, it doesn't, it's not like the most crazy, awesome animation, even though the transformations get a little extravagant. Um, but it does it well enough that it, everything looks really cute. The character's stay pretty solid on model most of the time and it just has a really solid cast i think the only character i didn't really care much for was probably Shion, but thankfully she literally had like a maybe a 10 minute segment so i was happy that they kind of got done with that joke and moved to the side uh the cat was amazing <laughs> the cat the the cat or the navigator as she calls them her her uh the one that signs her as a contract for a magical girl they have like a a course of pet and her cat is that one and it's it's gone so long that it's losing most of its 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 necessities. So it, all it says all the time is just the time has come. 
<laughs> it was so crazy seeing this cat just eyes light up and say the time has come. It was it was really great. I, I had a lot of fun with this show. I and I, I was on with Chris, was very surprised. Now, granted when we did our first impressions, I was I was pretty solid on it. But it was one of those shows that kind of got was on the it was on high dive and it's like literally out of the way of everything else. So it got easily forgot about once we got done with O Maidens. We never went back to that app again to ever really see it. But it, it was one that I kind of wanted to come back to because I thought Yuko was cute. I thought Momo was just perfect, pure girl. And I wanted to go see what else they did on it. And I was very happy I did because I, there wasn't a single episode that I wasn't really enjoying. I just loved all the jokes that they had in there. A lot of the playoffs of Magical Girls. And um, surprisingly... Surprisingly interesting kind of story reveals at the very end that are kind of unexpected for a magical girl comedy. <laughs> it got pretty complicated, and I was actually really interested in the idea that there's actually some kind of, uh, I guess, interesting concepts that they can end up expanding on if they wanted to, which is kind of interesting for a magical girl comedy that I didn't really expect much story out of. So it was cool. I definitely wish that there would be more. At the same time, it was a, it was a solid comedy in the end. So, and there's a Rick Grimes, yeah, uh, Daryl <laughs> cameo. <laughs> they went to watch a movie. It was like a it was like a zombie, a zombie dancing. Yeah, it was like a dancing zombie movie. And out of nowhere, there's Rick Grimes and and Daryl from Walking Dead just running and gunning. So, yeah, I liked her her transformation too. She always yells crisis management to to activate her transformation, and she's always in this lewd outfit that her her ancestor wore and that's always funny they always call her an exhibitionist i'm not an exhibitionist it's my battle suit yeah i liked it it was really good definitely uh definitely enjoy that series solid comedy magic so if you like magical girls or demon girls and comedy like a little playoff of the magic girl tropes and and joke around with them it's definitely a, a definitely a must watch so pleasant surprise great characters love and death gonna miss them all right, let's move on to how heavy are the dumbbells you lift or dumbbell non kilo mataru. This one streamed on Funimation, ran for 12 episodes, done by Studio Dogokobo. And the source is a web manga. The genres are comedy, ecchi, slice of life, sports. The director was Mitsue Yamazaki, who did uh, Monthly Girls and Zaki kun and Tanakun Never Falls in Love. And um, yeah, this follows Hibiki. And Hibiki, at some point, realizes that she's getting a little chubby, so she decides to try out a trial period at the nearby new workout location. And she goes there, ends up meeting a girl named Akemi, who is, I guess, like one of the more uh, perfect girls in her school, I guess is what they kind of lay her out as being. Uh, seems like one of those people that she would never talk to normally. And they get pulled into uh, membership at this club, which uh, they both find the well akemi's basically into muscles so any guy that has large muscles she suddenly just falls in love with them hibiki was kind of more drawn in because uh the guy that was introducing them to the place was named machio was very handsome and so she wanted to kind of have an excuse to hang out with him as well and kind of find out everybody's just super 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 stupid muscly men even machio but uh hibiki sticks it out because she wants to lose some weight she feels like she can chubby because she eats all the damn time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just uh, essentially different characters. Uh, her uh, Hibiki's friend Aya, who uh, Ayaka, who uh, their family runs a uh, boxing club. Uh, a lot of the teachers end up showing up, and they all kind of just do different 
workouts every day and um, muscly men hilarity ensues, I guess. So what's your, th- what's your thoughts on Dumbbell? This one was one that I had – I was so – I'm so mixed on because in one respect I do I, – I do like it for what it's doing. Um, number one, it's it's exactly what is on the box. They are going to explain to you this is what this is. This is what this exercise does and this is how it works and this is what it's doing for you. And that is what's on the box. That's exactly what you're going to get with this show. Make no doubts about it. Now – on the other hand, the humor was very, very um, a lot of misses for me. I, I think out of the entire show, there was maybe five or six times that I, I really laughed. And, and I can guarantee you three of those times were when Hibiki shows her inner strength. Mm-hmm. I, for whatever reason, those particular parts made me laugh. Everything else didn't really work for me. Now... I did get a weird kick out of the kind of last last battle per se. <laughs> that why that made made me laugh, I don't know, but it was kind of weird. <laughs> and it was just so over the top. That's really what it was. Um I I got a kick out of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it was really what it was. And that's that's probably my my bigger problem is it wasn't as as funny as it could have been. All the jokes were right about there. I got a kick out of the jokes, but they never just kind of pushed it over the edge, which is really what I think needed. And I think that um, Hibiki's inner strength is is a perfect example of that, where it was just so off the wall, you had to laugh at it, at least me anyway. And yeah, I kind of expected it from kind of the way they were playing it up, but at the same time, it was absolutely left field and it and that's where i think a lot of the jokes could have landed where a lot of them weren't landing but that's really kind of where i i I think it looked good uh it was it was a all in all a fun show just never quite made it there for the jokes for me i I guess the initial draw course to this was yeah i like the character designs and dogokobo we always love dogokobo's work uh, if anything that they do, they always do excellent animation and keep characters on model that look really good. And this is no exception. This one has really good looking characters. I I love Hibiki's character design. I think she, I love her to death. She's just absolutely adorable. Um, and even a lot of the muscle men, like even though I'm not really caring about muscle, especially not that much, they did a really excellent job in really kind of creating these. Yeah, sometimes over the top, but very muscular builds. That I got a kind kick of, out of Machio. <laughs> yeah. It, after the 50th time, I can't but yes. Uh, but no, my, as much as I love the character designs and I love how it, it does perfect etchy workout, like that's, I think, really what it is. It, this is literally etchy workout. If you want to watch really cute girls, really good close ups of characters doing workouts, and you might learn a thing or two, I've learned a couple things. Now, I'm not really too sure. The only one that I, that they said that I really wasn't sure about, I've never heard of the concept of, 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 of warm-up stretch being bad for you. I've never heard that before. But it makes sense at the same time. Either then, but no, it was was kind of more off the, it was more off the idea that Kemi was like, don't do it. And it's like, you have to do something. (laughs) But, anyways, uh, but yeah, outside of it just being really good-looking girls doing workouts, learn a couple things about workouts, that was all I got out of it. The, really, the rest of it wasn't funny for me. 
a lot of it was a lot of the humor really relies on straight man responses. Somebody does something, uh, Machio flexes in front of somebody, and somebody yells, "Do you really have to do the flex right now?" That was all the humor was was somebody does something or stretches or, or flexes, and then one of the girls goes, "Do you need to do that now?" or "Do you need to make that look so erotic?" and it's really just people jumping in the middle of the screen and reacting to whatever's on the screen. And it's like nothing really much outside of that for me. And that was my, my frustration was all I really got out of this was just cute girls doing exercises. No comedy really worked for me. The only one that really worked for me was probably Barnold. And I did watch probably half the show in dub and half the show in sub. And I will say if you like it or not, they took a lot of liberties with the the dub on this one and most all the most all the crazy uh jabs they did where it seemed out of place i would switch it over to the japanese subtitle and it, it didn't the, the 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 what the person said was completely different so they took a lot of liberties with the dubs so if you're more of a guy that likes the humor to be closer to the original you're going to lose a lot of the original intent with the with the dub Granted, I will give it credit for one thing, and that was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, I wish they got a better – because there's a lot of people who can do a really good Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. And he was okay, whoever did the, the dub for it. And he did kind of capture the essence of Arnold Schwarzenegger. But I found that a lot more funny than the than, than the Japanese version. The Japanese version was kind of just a generic uh, stone voice you. He wasn't really – it didn't really sound like he was going for Arnold Schwarzenegger at all. But at least with the dub, he really was going with it, and I actually found that more funny. I actually found Barnold to be funnier in the dub just because I know that that's – they were able to pull off. I, I w- kind of wish they found – I don't know if this is, doesn't exist. I was hoping that – and I know I know Japan knows who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. A lot of our movies are huge over there, and I think Terminator was huge over there as well. It's like apparently not because half of the girls didn't know who she who he was. <laughs> yeah, but I think that was more the fact that we're playing on a joke on the idea that the only person interested in that would be interested in, in muscles and. But anyways, I I kind of wish that they found the Seiyu that could get somewhat of a of an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice to to do it in Japanese, but it worked out in the end with that. So yeah, it was just cute girls exercising. That's really it, and the comedy didn't really work at all for me. So. It did make it really kind of boring uh, to watch, even though the girls were cute and Hibiki is absolutely adorable. I did get a kick out of a lot of moments like you were mentioning where Hibiki kind of went crazy. The the arm wrestling segments and stuff like that were, were funny. Um, learning a little bit about some things, heavy building. I don't know if it's true. A lot of it is, but it was interesting. And I, I did like that at the end of every episode, it kind of goes, hey, if you're working out at home – this is what you can do to get your exercise in. It was a lot of the segments in the last, after the credits were like these really quick workout suggestions. And they were always centered around the idea that you're away from the gym. This is how you can work out. And there was a few of them that I actually thought were really simple and easy to kind of pick up on. So granted, a lot of them were simple as this is how you do a push up, but they do a really good job of kind of pointing out uh, what you're supposed to do and how you need to keep these, Keep this straight. Don't do this. The do's and don'ts of of exercising, which is is always good. So it was it was good for that in the end. So yeah, that's it. Yep. <laughs> the the Toshio guy was weird too. The the weird random videos that Akemi had of the the Toshio guy. He was so creepy. <laughs> 
and they do they do the the this is what you could do to exercise at home to bring two chairs together and do uh dips and then she doesn't it breaks <laughs> oh was so wrong no she did it when fine added, but she did the backpack with all the books in it that's what it was it broke it oh yeah that's uh how heavy are the dumbbells you lift moving on we have copcraft Copcraft, this one re- uh, released on Hulu and Funimation, went for 12 episodes, done by Studio Milipinzi. These sources are light novel. The genres are action, fantasy, magic, police, and sci-fi. Uh, the interesting people working on this one, of course, was a big draw for Andrew, was the character designer was Renji Murata. And the director was Shin Itagaki, who did work on Berserk 2016, TQ, Ulysses, uh, John the Ark, and Wake Up Girls Season 2. All absolute animation Yes. <laughs> Thanks. I, I, I just... I wanted it to work. Animation-wise. Director... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That was it. Uh, series composition and script creator was all done by uh, Shoji Goto, who did Full Metal Panic and uh, Hoka series composition. So the creator of Full Metal Panic was the creator of Copcraft. So interesting people working on it. So yeah, this one... Uh, takes place 15 years after a hyperspace gate opened up over the Pacific. Essentially, it leads off to this other planet or this other world called um, – what was the world called? Uh, Reto Simani. And uh, people of Reto Simani, uh, Simani decide to kind of start migrating into our world, the Earth world. And um, most of the story takes place in San Teresa City where 2 million people live, both immigrants and people that were native to Earth. And it follows uh, the members of the San Teresa City Police Office, which is namely K. Mataba. And K. Mataba, at the very beginning, he's currently chasing down some people that are trying to smuggle a ferry. And he lo- ended up losing his partner during this entire tussle. And then when he gets back to the police station he is forced by his chief to take on a new partner um somebody from the uh the other world which her name is tirana uh exedirica exedirica i think that's how you it and um yeah so it's basically uh them two working together her using her ability to sense magic and um his ability to essentially work in the the world that she's not familiar with because <laughs> she's basically a fish out of water uh, using his kind of more uh, standard tactics in, in police officer work and his her ability to sense the magic and her ability to, in combat to find out who started this entire thing because she actually does know the fairy that was being smuggled. So that's Copcraft. Buddy Cop anime series only on Funimation and Hulu. <laughs> so what's your thoughts on Copcraft? Oh, yeah, by the way, even though I mentioned it in the previous episode, yes, we did get a chance to watch all of it. <laughs> I thought the recap was episode 11, after episode 11, but the recap was actually, like, apparently something they released a couple months ago. So, we got to watch all of it. All right. So, do you want to say it first, or am I going to say it first? What's that? That this show looked like crap. It did look like crap. No, uh, I, I will admit Character that they, art looked great. Yeah, the, kept- the animation was barely subpar. Whenever I got to see uh, Tirana's face, she kept her Renji Murata style, and I did appreciate that. But, yeah, it, it just 
it's it sucked animation wise. Now, story wise, I I like the I love the the buddy cop here. I I love uh, K Mataba and and Tirana. They absolutely worked wonderful together. Really, really had a lot of fun watching those two do their thing. Um, the overall storyline was really an odd one, and and it and it worked for what these two were really trying to do, which was really kind of a where does the the lines between humanity and 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 these aliens where does that mix kind of go into and then how do how does the community as a whole accept um these new beings and is is the is the um is the xenophobic nature of these people is it the same if we're talking about a different t- type of being how does magic mix into this and what how much magic is okay for humans and does ma- uh, magic change the dynamic of what a crime is and all that stuff it was all de- delved into in this this show and it was a lot of fun in doing all that um but it was kind of really botched by and, and I hate to say this because I think that it was that took a lot of the 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 fun of the show from me is being frustrated by these animated scenes and when when I'm watching I I've I've never had a show I've well, I had a couple but this one was definitely one of the ones where I really really was having a lot of fun up until the point where we got to the action scenes which is when I should be having the most fun and it was really counterproductive for me well, what's frustrating is even the scenes where it's not action and you're seeing characters just like, yeah, walk a little bit way too long towards a door. <laughs> it seems like the in the normal time when the scene would cut doesn't go because you're watching the character bob up and down going towards the door very slowly, which is totally understandable when the same people worked on Berserk 2016 that had a particular meme made out of uh, guts walking towards the screen bobbing up and down. But yeah. I'm in full agreement on the idea that this show it's funny because in our first impressions, I was like, it's struggling really hard, but it's keeping it together. And it just, it, it, it just went downhill very quickly and it just never, ever recovered. And, and like I said, it was not that the first few episodes was great animation wise, just, it was holding it together. Like, okay, you're struggling, but at least things are moving and it looks decently moving. But the, it just it never ever recovered. It just went downhill, and every like I like he was saying, every scene that was action based, even scenes outside of action, just felt like I couldn't stop focusing on how bad the animation was. Like I, I I'm trying to pay, pay attention. I'm trying to get submerged into the world. Which, by the way, I love the world. I love the world building. I love the magic in it. I love the lore. I love how the 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 detective work and the crime solving and the crime fighting all gets intermingled with fantasy elements and magic but all kind of keeping a very dark kind of new york dark uh feel of crime solving it was fantastic i love the setting i love the characters i love how they you have Tarana and she's doing all the work by looking for the magic and and finding the the zombie like people that are that are mixed in with a crowd that is out to get them all that stuff was fascinating and I loved it and I love the lore that was within this world. It's just every time 
I, w- I kept getting distracted by the fact that it just didn't look good. And um, that's the, that's the huge struggle I had for me because especially the fact that, as people know, the moment I seen Ranger Murata's name on the character designs and I seen the character art for her, especially with Tanana, I was like, oh, I, I hope this show does well. And I knew I knew I didn't want to set my expectations high because I knew the studio and the people that were working on it have not done great stuff. And I was just hoping maybe they got the money for it. Maybe maybe this is the first time the studio is going to really make a break. And they never really did. All I really got was a great world, great characters, great storytelling, great mysteries, all trying to be held together by a studio that just cannot do animated work. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Uh, my only hope is that and I know it's not going to happen. I absolutely know it's not going to happen because they'd have to rework the entire show. There's a there's a small side of me that hopes that the, the Blu-ray would fix everything. I highly doubt it. But I, I like I said, I really and, – and, and a lot of my love for the world and everything really does come in Kay and Tarana's relationship because they, they – it is a buddy cop concept they they butt heads left and right she wants to charge in there he doesn't he thinks that she's a a kid and can't handle it she's a fierce warrior that thinks he's an idiot and doesn't understand what she's what's with the concept of magic they're constantly fighting with each other he's the he's the more gruff uh more subdued person trying to take things slowly and surely and she's very you know, hot-headed, and she's she's confident of her. She's confident of herself, and she's rushing out there, and she wants to, you know, undo possibly a friend being captured. They just work so well to each other to to combat each other constantly while combating the thing that they're combating, and that that makes for a perfect chemistry. It's something that you see a lot in the buddy cop films of the West, but something you really never really see in an anime. And to see that here with a very with a very cool cast. A very well designed cast. I love the character designs of a lot of characters. Is something that I wanted to work so much, and I do think it, it does get pretty solid with the 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 elements of the racism that they have in there. They're obviously the humans that don't accept the uh, the people of the Reto Samani. The people of the Reto Samani not really necessarily liking the the elements of the Earth world, and those all get hit in the later parts, which is really solid, and I really did enjoy that. And it does come to a, a solid conclusion in the end. So it's like everything character, everything story, everything world, everything mechanic is all perfect. It's just the animation doesn't quite portray it well enough. And that's the big frustration that I have. So if you are not a stickler to animation and you like buddy cop crime, supernatural elements mixed in with there, like a more dark setting, please go watch Copcraft. It was a solid show. If you are somebody that just has to have his animation perfect, you're not going to like the show at all. So, and that's the that's probably the sad barely thing about get it. through the first couple of episodes, yeah. honestly. Exactly. So, yeah. And uh, fans of Hillary and, and uh, Bill Clinton, there's a cameo in there. So, <laughs> you're a dork. You know, they were going for Hillary and Bill Clinton. Come on. They were totally going for that. It, if, right down to their opponent. <laughs> Let's just say that. There's a we'll lot leave of, it alone. There's leave a lot alone. of. There's That's a, enough. <laughs> there's a lot of American politics uh, possible jabs in there. So, and I, like I mentioned, always, I don't care if they want to tell that. That's fine. I'm perfectly fine with whatever story they want to tell. Uh, so it was, yeah. That's uh, that's Copcraft. 
it sucks. It, it really does suck. I, I, I love everything about it, just that animation. And it sucks that I, I almost want to say, unless you, unless you like, I really don't care. You can have, you can have scrolling still on the screen. I'll still love a story. You're going to love it. <laughs> Anybody else is probably going to struggle with it. So moving on, we have Afaretta from commonplace to world's strongest. Speaking of terrible action scenes, <laughs> Afaretta. This one Shoku. was a hundred times better than Copcraft. Don't even lie. And the action same. scenes were terrible, and that's, though. And that's not saying much. <laughs> and it got better. It got better. Uh, Afaretta Shokugyo de Sekai Saikyo. This one's streamed on Hulu and Funimation. The episodes were 13. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we watched 12. Unfortunately, this is the only show besides BIM that's, like, for some reason, taking forever to end. Even though, like, literally falls season started. Uh Yeah. White Fox worked on it with Ass Reed. The Sources Light novel. The genres are action, adventure, harem, and fantasy. And the director that worked on it was Kinji Yoshimoto, who did work on Genji Ken's Season 2, uh, King's Blade, and Seven Deadly Sins. So, solid. But yeah, this one takes... This essentially is an Isekai show. It doesn't really make it clear at the very beginning, so I'm going to make it really easy for people that want to go check this out. Essentially, an entire classroom gets transported to another world. And the king there says, hey, we need your guys' help to fight off the, the bad demon people. And can you save our world, our kingdom? The teacher's really upset about it. The teacher protests it, but she has no choice. They have to go do it. And so the kids all kind of suit up. And not all the kids. Some of the kids actually stay behind. Some of them actually go out and do farm work along with the teacher. Uh, but they all kind of go down to the dungeon and fight together. And at some point, uh, Hajime, who is the main character, he... Kind of sucks. He, all they can really do is kind of like uh, synthesizing. You can like transform the ground into a wall or something like that. Uh, he is. They're all being attacked by this big, huge behemoth thing on a bridge. And as they're trying to fight it off and retreat, he runs forward and blocks off the enemy's path. And as everybody's fleeing, one of them, they all start shooting fireballs at the behemoth and telling him to flee. Uh, one of the people decides to turn his shot down towards Hajime. And he gets blasted down into the depths of the cave along with the behemoth. Uh, everybody kind of presumes that he's dead, but we get the perspective of Hajime as he kind of struggles to survive deep down the, the lower depths of the dungeon. Uh, he, at some point, uh, starved to death. He decides to eat the bodies of the enemies that he's able to kill. He also finds himself drinking some kind of weird drips from this weird crystal deep inside this little hole they hides away in and kind of the mixture i guess of this weird liquid coming off this gym and eating of the beasts in order to survive he starts to actually absorb um the strength and the abilities of the actual enemies that he's fighting uh, and it kind of starts making him really powerful it changes the color of his hair uh changes his physique a little bit and over pretty much the course of the good portion of the beginning episodes it's just him kind of slowly trying to claw his way back out of the hole that he found himself in. And then he meets a girl named Yue, who was sealed away deep inside this uh, this room within the dungeon. And even though he was going to leave her behind because he's got this really kind of very bitter feeling about anybody since he was double-crossed by his school uh, classmates, uh, her claiming that she was actually sealed away by being double-crossed actually made him feel like he wanted to help her because she's in the same boat he is. And so he frees her. She's like a vampire that's lived for a long time. 
And so they work together to... It would seem like they're going to be getting out of the dungeon, but it seems like they keep going down further and further. But yeah, it's just basically the rise of somebody who was absolutely weak, as the title would suggest, into becoming an extremely overpowered character. And he's able to synthesize really anything and build anything and uh, is is super strong and feels very jaded about everybody and doesn't trust anybody because he was double-crossed. So yeah, Afretta, your thoughts? <laughs> this one was absolutely a happy surprise. I I was not feeling it at first, and I absolutely drug myself into watching the next episode or so. I don't remember exactly when we cut off. It wasn't it wasn't really high on my list. I I liked it fine enough, but it wasn't high on my list. Going into the next episode and 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 meeting UA and then going into a couple of the other episodes, I really really the show really grew on me. I don't know what it is about it that I I couldn't give you a a, a particular thing. I liked Shea, I liked Yue. Tio was absolutely too funny for me. I got such that a happened. kick out. Of it. I know. Dragon fake. <laughs> um, that happened. The uh uh Miu was a nice a, a nice little story as they were going through the la- the final episodes. But I really, really did truly grow to love this show. There's something about the 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 mixture of the characters as they start uh, coming into contact with Hajime that really does start to shine after a certain point. He, there's it maybe it was just because he was alone in the first couple of episodes that it didn't it it just wasn't working. And then as he started getting characters by his side those characters really livened up the show, which is the only thing that I can figure because otherwise I, I don't know what else it is. And it really was a lot of fun as, and, and the, the storylines were really interesting. The concepts that they were building was really interesting. The world seems pretty interesting downside. I don't know about that last episode, but we're not feeling very chapter endish at all. <laughs> coming up so yeah i think that was the one thing i was mentioning to chris okay so yeah the first impressions we had of it was the combat sequences sucked they it the enemies were always terrible cgi like terrible cgi and it it, the fights just felt very slow and it didn't feel fun it was just none of it looked really good I will say, animation-wise, besides the fact that the monsters, I think, continuously still look pretty much all CGI, the animation for the characters and, and the the character designs themselves had improved greatly over time. Like, the first few episodes, it looked like butt overall. Like, not even just the fact that the monsters were CGI, the character models were terrible. It just didn't look good, it didn't move well. It seemed like over time, as I would say after Shea came around onward, it felt like the animation improved. And maybe that's because they finally had really cute girls that could sell figures. And they suddenly say, hey, guys, you got to make these characters look really good because these characters are going to sell figures. And so they're like, okay, put all budget into characters, make characters look really great. And they did. The characters look really good after that point. So it did, it did improve animation-wise. So my initial impression was, okay, this doesn't look good. Um, it's character that just hates the world and he's getting overpowered. It's basically the entire first couple episodes was, was the opening of, of, um, I, that time I got reincarnated as slime. It was him consuming things and gaining powers, just like with slime absorbing things and gaining powers. 
And so it wasn't really doing anything fascinating. And he even got Yue before I stopped watching it. I'm like, Yue's not really doing anything. She's just like Shinobu biting on him, and that was about it. Um, I don't – I'm trying to remember why I decided to go back to it. I, I guess it was mainly because I never got to say, uh, see Shia. And I even joked about the fact that I, I'm still waiting for Shia to show up when we did the music episode. And so maybe I was just trying to shoot for the moment that I would see Shia. But I also kind of wanted to see that moment when Hajime would finally meet his classmates again. Like, what is he going to do when he finally sees his classmates again? Which I said really frustrates me because we haven't watched, we didn't get a chance to watch the 13th episode yet. And I'm, I don't think it's going to do much. It, it, the, based on how he responded when he first met the first group that he bumped into from his original class, I don't think it's going to be that, that significant. But it was kind of cool. Every every now and then getting these moments where these characters kind of realize he's he's made it and he's strong and seeing his absolutely kind of cold nature against them, it was it never really kind of pushed the realms of frustrating. It, but it was at times where it did actually get pretty dark. Like he he's resolved to the idea that he has been betrayed and he he has no care whatsoever of these people. He even points out on himself, all I know them as is people that I came here with. That they have they mean nothing to me. And I do. I, I thought that was kind of going to be very try hard at first, but as things went along and he started gaining uh, members to his party, he became a character that I was actually kind of I didn't hate anymore. <laughs> like I actually kind of really hated him early on, but as he kind of started gaining party members, he started becoming a character that I kind of understood and I actually kind of wanted to to support. He made sense when he made decisions that he did, and I think that was kind of what I slowly kind of snowballed into actually liking the show. Is yes, it's another isekai. Uh, it's taking it in a more shield hero direction, where it's it's me against everybody, and I hate everybody. And it's also doing the same in the idea that it's kind of slowly building up as a character that has actual purpose and somebody you can get behind. And I did kind of like that aspect. Now, my biggest frustration—it was something I realized really quickly when I went back to watching—and I think I shot Chris a text, about, or I mentioned it to Chris at some point. I'm like. The frustrating thing is, is by halfway through the show, I realized that they are opening way too many doors and never going to close any of it. They had this whole moment where he discovers a keeper deep within this labyrinth. And it just opened everything up. And I was like, okay, this is actually pretty interesting. I kind of thought this was actually fascinating, the way they kind of – this labyrinth is a part of some bigger thing that ends up opening – multiple locations that he needs to actually eventually go to. And then I realized he's never going to go to any of them, are they? And these are going to be things that he's going to have to go to eventually. And so it's like, we're literally not even a core, uh, uh, an eight through the story that they've just revealed. And we're not even done with the first core. So it's like, I don't see any of this ever coming to any kind of a conclusion. Now, do I see it coming to a conclusion that I'll be satisfied with? Possibly. But it as a, a an ending story is gonna be nowhere near it. There's there's so much stuff that they have unpacked that I am very surprised that the writer had this much intent for his story. It, it really does feel like there was a, a a more broader scope of story that he wanted to tell. Now it's not something that would be I would feel worthy of you know a hundred volumes or anything like that, but a pretty meaty story that I think would be pretty fascinating if it actually unraveled the way that I think it could. So. It has promise as a story as a whole. It is an anime. It's it's a good taste for what the storyteller decided to do, but at the same time, I felt like it could, it wasted quite a bit of its um, time with those first few episodes, and it turned into be something that was more kind of a like I said a shield hero, gritty, dark isekai show, me against everybody, 
with some fun bubbly cast to kind of add to it. Uh, so outside of that nature, the characters, like I said, Hajime, I have my issues with him at the beginning, but I think as he grew, opened up with other characters, I think he's grown into a solid character at this point. Yui was a character that I thought was kind of similar to Hajime in that she didn't feel like she had much going for her. She felt very kind of bland and very Shinobu-ish. Um, but like, again, over time, she kind of – she actually turned out to be a lot more accepting of others than I thought that she would initially become. And so that is another reason why I ended up liking her as a character. She, well, she uh, ended up she ended up being kind of the, the – Like a mom character. Well, I, I was looking at her more along the lines of kind of the heart of Hajime. She she kind of makes him softer. Which is technically what a wife is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In a lot of cards. Um, Shia. Oh, Shia. I hated Shia when she first showed up. And she was the character I was waiting for. Her first segments. And it kind of sucks because I also hated Shia because it made me hate Hajime again. Because of how what a jerk he was to her, but I hated Shia when she first showed up. But I love her to death after not even an episode. Like she just was so fun, and just I loved seeing her jump out in the middle of the like everybody's back here. Like he's shooting Hajime shooting like gigantic Goss rifles and railguns and stuff, and then suddenly I know where Shia just jumps up there with a gigantic hammer and smashes something in half or whatever. Uh, I did love her to death. She it, was great. And she, she added so much to the chemistry because once Hajime stopped really kind of pushing her away, she just – she created the chemistry that wasn't really in the show for character-wise. Even though she technically was making it pull itself out of the more dark nature that the show was. It is kind of like adding uh, – what's her name? The um, Philo? Adding Philo to the shield hero. She was that super hyperly bumpy character – that really kind of pulled them out of like a more depressing show because when it was just Raftelia and, and um, what's his face um, shield hero, it was very kind of bleak and dark and they were constantly going to one place to the other. And he was always upset and she was always following him. And then Philo jumps in and suddenly Philo jumping around, happy go lucky. It was technically the same kind of nature there where it still kind of holds it, but it's, it never is the same show again. Since I know that the next one down the line is Teal, which it, it, it's kind of funny for me on this this particular thing. Andrew points out this event that's going to happen with a dragon. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm going through this. Something I completely somewhere. I completely forgot about this particular event until the particular wording that you had told me was going to happen. And I was like. Oh, yeah, that's going to happen, huh? <laughs> I'll, I'll just put it this way. I'm watching this episode, and there's this big, big boss that they're fighting. And Hajime goes, these kind of bosses always have one weakness. There's one place they have no armor. And he shoves this gigantic rod right into that weak point. And, my, I was, and then something came out of the, the boss. A voice I wasn't expecting at all. And I went, that just happened. And the, the entire episode after that point was just me staring at the screen going, <laughs> I was busting up that laughing. Got and, weird. and ever since that point, the rest of the show, that particular character, I had so much fun with. She was hilarious. <laughs> I don't know why she worked so well for me, but she really did. Her jokes were always right on point. 
So outside of that, I I guess the other side of the mix to everything really is just the the original cast, the the original cast that he was with, the the other classmates and stuff. And it it felt very kind of jarring at times when it would just kind of suddenly transition back to them. And I'm like, I really don't see them having any purpose to this. You you've spent so much time away from them. I don't get the purpose of having them on the screen. And it wasn't really until late in the show, again, when we're getting to the end and we really have no more time left with them, that we're finally starting to get them reincorporated into the story. And it just feels like a little bit too late or a little bit too little too late. And maybe that that could get remedied if there ever is another season. But as it stands now, it feels like without incorporating these story elements to the story that you're telling in 12, 13 episodes, don't bother. If you're planning on doing another season, by all means, bring them in. But it is one of those frustrating aspects of that single season possibility adaptation of a very long story is there is still that lingering element that you might fall in love with the characters. You might enjoy the story of Hajime, but in the end, is it going to be, is it going to be uh, a story that's going to be fulfilling? I don't, I don't see the 13th episode suddenly telling all these stories and putting caps to all this stuff. And that's the reason why I don't I don't feel upset about the idea of doing a review for it because you got our ideas of uh, the characters and everything and that is the journey that you're going to be expecting. So, in the end, yes, like Chris, I think it was very surprising. I I really wasn't expecting anything out of it. The first few episodes really sucked, but it ended up turning into um, quite a bit of fun with the characters and uh, the dark element was pretty solid and some of the politics that I I the politics in the world kind of building that they had in there were kind of fascinating and I really wish that there would be more to tell all that stuff, but I know we're never going to get anything else with it, so take that for what it is, so yeah. She wanted him to, to loot her in the, the inn in front of everybody. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yep. Oh, yeah, training the bunny people. That was a really good segment, too. See, that's uh, Aphoretta from Commonplace to the World's Strongest. Next one we have is Demon Slayer Kimitsu no Yaiba. Or Kimitsu no Yaiba is the Japanese title. I don't know why they put the Japanese title in after... I guess because Demon Slayer is a pretty generic name. Anyways, uh, Crunchyroll, Hulu, and Funimation all stream this. Ran for 26 episodes. They already have a movie sequel announced, which was pretty much the last episode. Episode 26 was essentially a big, long commercial. <laughs> it was nothing but introducing the movie, which is fine. It's, it's fine. Just hopefully it doesn't take too long before we get the movie to those outside of the the world of popular location that has screening locations. Anyways, uh, Ufutable was the studio that did this. Uh, the sources of manga, the genres are action, demons, historical, shonen, and supernatural. The director was Haro, Haruo uh, Sotozaki, who did Tales of Hysteria and Tales of Symphonia. And the music was done by Go Shina, who did the music for God Eater and Dimension W, as well as Tales of Hysteria. And the director of photography, as usual with the Ufutable titles, is again Yuichi uh, Tiro, um, who's of course done a lot of work, things like Unlimited Blade Works and all the other awesome foodable titles so yeah this story uh takes place in kind of a what is it, feudal japan feudal japan works uh it follows a guy named tendro and tendro uh leaves his home to go off and sell some coal because I, apparently his family um, digs up coal or something like that and as he returns he goes off and he sells all the stuff he's going to sell and meets everybody in the town and as he comes back home he finds his entire family has been slaughtered and uh, panicking. He ends up bumping into his sister and his sister has become a demon. So some demon came in, killed his entire family and then uh, gave his sister some of their blood and transformed her into a demon. And he's struggling because, you know, this 
this is my sister and it's the only person I have left. I can I have to find some way of helping her. Uh, he's confronted by a demon slayer uh, known as uh, Gyu. And Gyo, Gyu is quickly trying to decapitate his sister because she's now a demon. And Tanjiro is frantically telling him, no, look, I'm going to I'm gonna find the demon that did this. I'm going to kill him and try to find a way to, to save my sister. And um, seeing his resolve, uh, the demon slayer decides to uh, knock Nezuka out and uh, put a kind of bamboo kind of thing on her mouth to kind of shield her teeth. And... Um, allows Tanjiro to go train, become a demon slayer, and prove that he can help save his sister. And uh, so he goes off and he trains with a guy named Sokonji. Um, and Sokonji basically trains him to become one of these demon slayers, even puts him through a trial, um, and then eventually sends him off to the big um, kind of, what do you call it? the Demon slayer trial. Trial thing, yeah, for demon slayers. And he, of course, becomes a demon slayer. Um, and, of course, the other side of this whole thing is that uh, his sister, Nezuko, is seemingly uh, fighting back the urges that a demon would have and seems to have her – still seems to retain herself as being a sister of Tanjiro. And so she doesn't seek to kill people. She's often very protective of people. And you kind of – they reveal exactly one of the reasons why she does that. Um, but instead of actually consuming people to survive, she instead rests a lot in order to regain her strength, which is something that she technically could do. And so she's often kind of sleeping away inside it as a chibi form because she's able to change the size of herself <laughs> as a chibi form in his little in Tanjiro's little backpack. So, but yeah, Tanjiro goes around and uh, basically does missions for this Demon Slayer organization. Goes out, kills a demon, gets his next sorry mission. For him. Yeah, feel sorry for them because he's such a good boy. Tanjiro is such a good boy. Um, but yeah, that's Demon Slayer. What's your, what's your thoughts? Uh, this one this one severely impressed me. I, As much as I should have been turned off by this show, I absolutely loved it. Um, Tanjiro, for whatever reason, he is a, just an inviting character that you really – at least I could really sympathize with. I was really – taken in by his story as he was going through um he's he he does have the the shonen formula of being the the underdog who's constantly fighting to make himself better to for whatever reason and his particular reason is nezuko and it just shines through and and between the character artworks which are all over the place but absolutely phenomenally done i really think that all of these characters look well okay there's two characters that i don't particularly care for but for the most part most all the characters look really fantastic and the story itself is just really well done there's a vast array of directions that the story can go in you've got uh, at least three organizations that I think I've seen so far that you could go dig into. One of them's not really an organization per se, but it's something that might get explored later. Um, the other two are very large organizations that are, sh- I'm sure, going to get dug into at some point. So you've got all the the um, ingredients for a great shonen ready to go here. That's the fascinating thing. It is, it is like the most shonen type show that for some reason just stands out and, it, and that's what's the crazy thing and of course yeah let's get out of the way it's going to stand out because of football 
but Foodable doesn't always create things that people really care about. I mean, even though I enjoyed it, God Eater did not was not successful. People were just hate. They despise that show, but I, I did enjoy it. But that's just to prove the point that not everything that a foodable touches is going to be something that everybody's going to grab onto. But it, it's funny to have something that is so formulaic that stands out so much. And I, and I really, yeah, give credit to foodable, but I also kind of give credit to uh, the creator too, because Tanjiro just is such a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it really comes down to, okay, bird lands on his shoulder, rock, rock, you're going to go over here and take out this demon. He goes there, investigates for a little bit, finds something that could be the demon, goes to attack, and demon gives him a little bit of a struggle. He uh, uses his breathing technique, finds string, slices at enemy, enemy dies. And then it turns into, oh, you are a human. And then he starts crying and it's like, oh my gosh, Tandro, you're such a good boy. <laughs> Cause it, it's just this, the sympathy that Tandro has is something that nobody else really understands. He has all these people that are all, all the other demon slayers all have the same concept. Demons bad. They killed my friends. They killed the family. They killed people. They need to die. Yes. Everybody understands that demons bad. Tandro went through the same thing. His entire family slaughtered. But he still sees it as these are just like my sister. These were people that were once human or these these demons were once human and he sympathizes with them. And often – I mean you had like this one uh, – one of the early ones that he fought. Was this big old huge thing that was just slaughtering these people. And then Tandro takes it out and then suddenly it cuts to his life and, and it's like, oh, crap. Yeah, this guy's life sucked. <laughs> the, even like the 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 drum playing guy, it was like every single one of them are these little kind of snippets of stories where you're like, "Don't show me this. This is a bad guy. Don't show me this. Stop. Stop playing the sad music." But, but, but at the Stop same time, playing the sad music, and then Tundra starts crying. You're like, "Stop it!" But, Stop but it. at the same time, this is credit to the writer. Right. This means that the writer has actually taken into consideration what this this monster quote-unquote monster how did they get to the point that they're at which is a huge a huge credit to them and please do not make light of that because that's something that is one of those throwaway things that most people don't really consider is they don't consider the idea of the bad guy is just the bad guy because and and when we say villains we're we're usually talking about that and when we say a good right a good written villain is somebody that you can sympathize with they're taking it to even more extreme and actually giving each one of the uh henchmen reasons for being who they are it's really a thing of like it's always starting at the deepest, darkest point of the cave, and then it's kind of stepping back every time. Every episode is starting at the deepest part of the cave, and you're stepping back into the light again, where you're kind of seeing, oh, this is where this person came from before they got to the end of that, that deep, dark cave. And it, it really does give a perspective of instead of being a monster of the week, you're really getting a, a life of the week. And yeah, some of the times it feels very quick, but most cases it always seems impactful enough, and it's very – it's accented by the fact that it looks beautiful and then you have like the great chorus uh, music and you have the great uh, uh, portrayal of the scenes and everything all being done. It just – it turns out to be a really fantastic thing. Um, Nezuko, very underplayed but she's absolutely fantastic. Every time she pops out of that box, I just get 
all super excited. Like, oh my gosh, here she goes. What's Nezuko going to do next? Ever since the first moment where she kicked off the demon's head like a football, I'm, I, every time she pops out of that box, I'm like, what is Nezuko going to do next? She's just kicking that stinking ball back and forth against uh, – uh, what's her face? What was it? Uh, Susamaru. Th- this this kind of kick back and forth with the with the ball that could basically knock off your, your head if it wanted to was fantastic. I just – Every combat scene, technically, even with Tandro, Nezuko, uh, Inosuke, uh, Zenitsu, when he actually did anything, they were all fantastic. Every one of them are just really well, really, really kind of clever. I mean, you had like one of the earlier ones was a guy that could control uh, direction was interesting uh, in how that was kind of put through. the. Like I said, the, the building one that was able to hit the drums and it changed positions. Every fight felt like it had some kind of cool mechanic to it. That made every single one of them really interesting. And then you kind of, like I said, add on to that the element of the character building of the actual enemy afterwards. It all just turned into a very awesome package that I enjoyed from beginning to end. There was nothing in this that was was short. It was beautiful. The music was fantastic. The directing was fantastic. The stories of every enemy they fought was fantastic. Tanjiro is a beautiful, beautiful boy. <laughs> Nezuko is awesome, and I love her to death. Inosuke, I wasn't sure at first, but I absolutely actually kind of technically grew on me, and I really like him after a while. Zenitsu. Do we want to talk about Zenitsu? He, he I don't like either of them. I, I just said I don't like either of them. So. Inosuke grew on me, but Zenitsu did not. And it's sad because here's the only thing that I'm kind of scared about going forward with this show is I've loved everything about it except for how some of the characters end up becoming their quirkiness. Um, Zenitsu is loud and obnoxious and he screams because he's always terrified that he's going to die two seconds later. So he's screaming constantly, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Oh no, no, I don't want to go in there. I'm so afraid. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And the screen changes to some cartoonish look of him screaming all cartoonishy. And he's loud and obnoxious. And granted, yes, the moment he actually does fight, it's really awesome. But every other time he's on the screen, any, any time other than that when he's on the screen, I am literally willing to gouge my ears out. Um, and the fear that I have going forward with the show in general is that I noticed with the, uh, what do they call them? The Han- Han- Hanasumi, the, the main core of the Demon Slayers. They have this one kind of super uh, team of members that are all part of this really uh, demon killing corpse, where they're called. They, they had an H name too. I don't know what it was. The main, the main, team of people it was like i don't know 10 or so people that are like the highest rank members of the demon slayers everybody else is like crap they even mentioned at some point everybody else that's not in this team seems to be just garbage um but i noticed when they first introduced those guys they all had the same syndrome as zenitsu and technically yes inosuke is they all have a personality quirk and they just kill it there's one girl that everything she looks at, she falls in love with, and she's constantly saying how much she loves it. There's one guy that's super hyper, I gotta do everything. There was one guy that's, like, constantly crying about everything. They all have, like, this one personality trait, and that's 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 all that defines them in their, in their dialogue. And so I do have a slight 
fear of the show in general and the idea that everybody introduced to us since Zenitsu that's been a main part of the team that's unique have all had these really stupid quirks that they get obsessed with. And so that if I had any negative to this entire thing, like, like I said, everything else is fantastic. Just these character archetypes for these side characters are repetitive. I think Shinobu is like the only kind of Shinobu and Gyu are probably the only exceptions is that because they Gyu is just kind of very quiet. So he's not going to have that kind of a quirk and Shinobu, even though she was kind of like, Oh, I want to make friends with all the demons. She really kind of developed with the character. So my only hope is that as they develop these other core leaders, that they will start showing other character types to themselves than the fact that they're their quirk. Yeah. Yep. 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 Other than that, like I said, beautiful X. I mean, let me, let me, this is here. Let me tell you a quick story. I like telling these little stories. Um, so with most shows that are multiple core, me and Crystal will usually watch all the way up to the point, which the, the core ends. And what usually happens is the shows that are multi core, we often follow up fall behind on them because what happens is when the new season starts, we want to get caught up on the first impressions of all these 30 plus shows. And so what often happens is the multi-core shows get left behind until we get to the first impressions moment. Then we usually jump back and watch the multi-cores again. So Demon Slayer was an exception. When we got to the episode 11 or so episode, um, we went off to start doing the first impression on the other stuff. And then we even had a visitor come down here. So we even had another two weeks that we weren't watching shows and out of nowhere, everybody's freaking out on Twitter and stuff about episode 19. And so I'm like, oh, crap. I'm afraid I'm going to get spoiled on something. So what I do, I sit there and, like, any time I can get away from people, even in the restroom or something, I'm watching uh, part of an episode so I can see if I can get caught up. And I even at some point, the person, uh, our brother that was visiting at the time, I I, I told him, look, I, I really want to get caught up on this. Do you want to watch some Demon Slayer? And he's like, oh, sure. He, he, he enjoyed it just for the animation aspect of it if he didn't understand the story. It's pretty basic. It's you, there's demon go kill demon. Demons killing people. It's not like there's a huge thing there. He's going to be uh, struggling to understand. And it got to that episode, and I and it was funny because I was like, yeah, technically they revealed two things. Um, they're not things that I would say would be like I would be really angry if I found out about before I got to that point. No, what people were freaking out about was just the the absolutely mind blowing presentation music emotion, uh, the edge of your seat moment between all these characters and what they're struggling with. It was just everything thematically was all perfect. And it was, again, one of those cases of a foodable just showing off. Like, this is us. Here is basically movie quality budget stuff in a single episode. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I get why everybody was freaking out. So it is just a testament to it. And this happens all the time. Like I mentioned, the, 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 the fight with the guy that can rotate the room, the way that they incorporate CGI into a fight and have the character rolling around. And yeah, every now and then you'll notice it. Oh, there's the CGI tundra. tundra. But in most cases, whenever they hide it so well, and it's only very briefly sometimes I'll notice it. Any other time, it's just actual animation. They had this segment in the last episode where this person was running through this weird kind of maze of stuff. And it's like, holy crap. This is 
this is footable. This is something that no other studio is really pushing to do. And again, I don't know if it's because the, all the big budget goes to them or if that they just take that much passion to this stuff. But they – it's just a testament to the people that they have in their studio that I have – like the, the director of photography, photography that I've mentioned before. Just the work that he does, he's just known for it. He's just some very fantastic people that work at Foodable that deserve credit. And it is a testament to just how much I enjoy uh, Demon Slayer is that they take that – passion and an artwork and just bring these really fantastic characters alive. So I'm done. Done gushing. Good. There you go. I cannot wait for more. Like I said, I can't wait for the movie and hopefully this is something you footable comes back to. I'm not sure how close they are to the source material, how much they have left on it, but I'd love to see more. Definitely. So, yep. That's Demon Slayer. Um, our last one for the ending shows of the core is a short called, are you lost? Or Sonan Deska. This one is uh, streaming on Crunchyroll. Ran for 12 episodes. They're 13 minutes each. Done by Studio Ezola. And the source is a manga. The genres are adventure, comedy, and seinen. And this one follows uh, a band of girls that all get stranded on a deserted island. Oh, yeah, by the way. The director was uh, Nobuyoshi Nagayama, who did work for Happy Sugar Life. And um, my girlfriend is Shobi. So, there you go. Anyways, uh, these four girls get stranded on a deserted island, and they're all pretty useless, except for one of them, Homare. And Homare, <laughs> Homare is... Uh, useless she's been, is kind of being nice. She's been traveling a lot her entire life with her dad, and her dad is like a insane survivalist, like hardcore survivalist. They will do anything to survive, and he's taught her so many things. So, naturally... What happens is all these girls are freaking out. They don't know what to do. And Hamade is basically going, oh, let's do this. This We need to do this. This is your next step. We need to do this in order to survive. You need to be willing to do this. This is next step. She's just constantly showing them what they need to do to survive and even just getting very hardcore with it if she needs to, which it's funny because early on I thought that was more of a joke. But as the show kind of got towards the end of it, I'm like, I'm kind of starting to see this as being kind of some really kind of – even though it is technically, yes, it is a full-on comedy. It's almost like there's a bit of side story in here of like the willingness to be willing to do certain things to survive is kind of mingled in there. And I kind of got got a growing respect for the writer to be willing to kind of go, yes, in often cases, in most cases, it's always for comedy, but they are technically things that you can do. So, yeah, that, that's yeah. that's what that's what impressed me the most is I love the fact that this is using comedy to absolutely hit hit the point of these kinds of things that you technically never think of. And it's, it's really a uh, kind of fun because I, I, I sent a message to Andrew at some point um, because I got through this and I was like, this is too funny. And I, I sent him an out of, out of context uh, picture. And I said, Yes, they went there, and Andrew had to go and watch that that particular episode just to see. It was what the I was last episode. About. <laughs> I was yeah. already up there, and you guys, we watched it first. And, and I'm it like, was, yep. it was, it was. I thought it was a replay of the first thing, and it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really love that that it, it uses that, and it, what it does in 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 a person's mind is it it does two things. It it because of the comedy aspect, you end up marking it in your brain and then you're on top of that you're marking it in your brain so if you ever ended up in a situation like that you wouldn't technically have that as a 
memory marker. You'll think about the two stupid uh, anime girls and they did what? Oh, yeah, that's right. So you'll you'll probably remember this this goofy little Bat thing. dropping water can go in there. <laughs> I didn't want to go there. But, I didn't say specifically. I'm just saying bat water can go in there. But it, it but I love that they they put that there in in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I I love that this this show did what it did. <laughs> just just move on. Just move on. I can't. <laughs> you keep burying You're laughing harder. and it's messing me up. I love this show. It does wonderful. Okay. <laughs> It was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot of cool stuff. I I got a lot of interesting things reinforced. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm just tying everything you say to that one scene. You know that, right? Okay. (laughs) This is my turn I'm done. I'm done. I said what I needed to say. Um, I I honestly never really intended that – this show would ever not be funny. It, from the very beginning, it was funny, and it was funny every episode that came out. And it's funny because it, it's it's funny because it's funny because it's it's it like you said it does play off the survival aspect, but in every scene that it does do a joke, it it never seems to get old. And that was kind of the the, the great thing about it, even though it technically uh, is just playing off survival jokes. It it always ends up being fresh every single time. And Chris pretty much said, every, said everything that I would probably want to say about it, so I'll just leave it at that. They were uh, – th- I would put a note in there. Very happy to see their – it's not very – it's very uh, cool with showing the girls constantly undressed, so keep that in mind. Um, they're constantly in their underwear, going swimming or whatever, diving for things. So it's pretty much all the clothes they have, so they, they use them it's quite strategically, so keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was a fun cast. Great, great seiyus. Uh, I loved all the a lot of the seiyus in it. Are like, um, yeah, it was uh, Megami from Out of Raised Born Girlfriend. That's what I'm thinking about. But yeah, love the seiyus. They did a fantastic job. Uh, a lot of very again, this is kind of similar to the show that I just kind of critiqued earlier about it. A lot of the humor is definitely on the idea of the straight man joke, where Hamari does something absolutely hardcore and the other characters are just freaking out about what she just did um but it, it always end up doing it really well in the idea that they're kind of involved with it they're not just kind of side sides uh you know on the sideline constantly they're actually getting involved with this, what's happening so and also the other three girls they grow up a lot in that yeah. in that few weeks it it's it that is one of the things that does it they're not completely and totally helpless through the entire show they they seeing slowly mutsu. huh <laughs> seeing mutsu doing a uh skinning of a a rabbit yeah. <laughs> it's just wrong yes they get Again, pretty daggum get, hardcore getting hardcore show. getting hardcore and and doing it f- in some cases funny but some cases like oh yeah that just happened so yep that's are you lost definitely a solid comedy and um survival techniques at the same time so there you go all right, and moving on to our last bit, we have our mid-season re- reviews. It's really kind of us giving our perspective on how things are running uh, to kind of hold you off until we get to our final reviews when the fall season ends because um, these won't end until then. First one we have is Vinland Saga. This one, is, of course, running on Amazon. Uh, I think I'm on episode 11 or 12. I forget exactly which one. Slated for 24 episodes, being done by Studio Studio. And the manga's manga's is based off of uh, series composition and script being done by Hiroshi uh, Seiko, who of course did Ajin, Mob Psycho 100, and Seraph at the End. 
And, of course, the original creator was Makoto Yukimura, who did Planetis. So, there you go. Um, I guess to give a quick synopsis, taking place during the, actually, the end of the Vikings, um, the, the whole series of events of the Vikings, moving more on to the wars that are happening um, on the mainlands. We follow Torfin, who Torfin is currently living with his family, secluded in the, like a very northern area. At some point, his father is kind of being drugged back into the war, which he kind of um, abandoned at some point. And in order to protect his family, he kind of gets pulled back into it. And Torfin kind of joins him, even though he did not know he was going to. At some point, he gets separated from his father and ends up joining with a band of um, uh, mercenaries led by... Askeladd, and Askeladd is somebody that Thorfinn really badly wants to get revenge upon, and just kind of joins him. He's kind of getting drugged through an entire war, and that's been a significant portion of this first course so far, is Thorfinn basically being drugged along in this very long series of battles that are happening. Yeah, I absolutely love all they've done with the series so far, except for a few minor things that I'll get into eventually. Um, it's beautiful. It's very well portrayed. It does a really good job of kind of slowly moving you into uh, the the setting that it really is in, which is very kind of – unless you're big on shows like Vikings or something like that or you're into the Vikings themselves, um, is very unique, uh, especially for anime or manga to really get into is that kind of environment. Uh, I watched a couple of videos of some kind of um, period experts and they are all had some really high praises as to the – the respect that's being done to a lot of the armor and weapons that are being used in this particular time period. So I, I actually really do kind of feel that that was a thing just because of the fact that it, it looked so like it fit. Like, like I said before, I've, I've been a big, huge fan of Vikings for a while now. So I've been watching that series and I get the similar uh, elements here, even though it's kind of funny to see different characters at different roles than what I've experienced with watching the Vikings adaptation. that's on uh, uh history channel, whatever. So yeah, I, I I'm not sure how I feel about Thorfinn as a character. I think he has had some significant changes to him recently in the show, but I've never really haven't really liked him so much as a character just because I'm more I'm more fascinated by like Thor's his father. I'm more uh, fascinated by Askeladd. All these other characters I have more fascination with than Thorfinn, who just seems to be sitting in a corner all the time, looking like nothing. He and I I give him. I, it's not he's like not I'm, giving the angry eye no more. I can, he's always got the angry eye. Okay. I don't really. I, I want to critique him, but at the same time, it is one of those things. It's kind of like a Shinji thing of like, yeah, technically he's not in a good place. He is in a very bad place. He's separated from his family. This isn't. This isn't current times where you just you know bump some money from somebody, get a flight back home. This is like, how does he get home? He's literally isolated. He's with these uh, terrible band of mercenaries. What can he do but do whatever he can to survive? Uh, Give evil eyes. Yeah. <laughs> basically, you have the master treating you like crap, but the master has the bowl. So you're going to wait for the master to give you the bowl. It, it is really one of those things. And so I like the world. I like the animation. I like the directing. Everything is solid. I'm just kind of right now wanting them to kind of do something different with Thorfinn. It's like I'm, I'm at this point where I'm like – Maybe it's because I'm fresh off of watching Vikings. I kind of see a couple of these scenarios already played out, and I already kind of know where a lot of this stuff kind of goes. So I'm kind of just wanting to wait for the moment where the characters themselves, besides, like I said, Askeladd, uh, does something. And so I expect it to happen because I've loved it so far. 
it's just it's kind of one of those points where I'm I'm kind of wanting something to happen right now. Like I, we're at a good point where something can happen and it's just perfect. Um, outside of that, it's anime. So unlike something like Vikings or some other adaptation or movie or, or film about Vikings, it it gets a little over the top. I mean, for the very opening scene, you have Thor swing a weapon and chop five people and a uh, an entire mast of a, a ship in half. Uh, but it's kind of getting that element where it's kind of ruining certain scenes. Like you have characters bashing heads with each other. And the fact that some are stupidly, unrealistically overpowered is ruining the the immersion of it. And that's in Thorkill. Thorkill showed up. He's he's grabbing like oh, like huge, massive logs from 15 people that are holding it, picking it up with one arm and chucking it down on on uh, ships. And it's like, come on. I mean, I, I – I, I went with you on hitting a bunch of random people with a sword and chopping them in half, but now you're getting in the realm of, like, you're now – the entire war is being pushed one direction by one guy that's throwing gigantic trees. So I kind of am struggling with that, but everything else he outside of that he has didn't been a lot have of fun. any. Did he have any uh, berserker mushrooms? I mean, that could have totally – No, that's it. Bjorn. Oh, so he Bjorn, didn't have none? No, Bjorn is the mushroom guy. Thorkill just likes fighting. All so right. yeah, outside of that, like that's like really my only complaint. And besides the fact that I kind of I'm hoping for a moment where Thorfinn, Thorfinn is going to finally do something. Um, everything else has been fantastic, so it's absolutely a great series that I cannot wait for. Each episode's very beautifully done by Wit Studio too. So cool stuff. If you're looking for an awesome little period piece of the Vikings in anime format. It is your, it is your jam. Check it out. Unfortunately, yeah, the, the big unfortunate and the, probably the reason why nobody really is talking about it. It's on Amazon. So that is, it's probably biggest, biggest, weakest link. So yeah, um, Dr. Stone, this one is streaming on Crunchyroll and Funimation slated for 24 episodes. I think we're on 11. Also, I think it like stopped at 11. They took like a five week delay. Cause I'm, barely remembering anything anymore because it's been so long since I've watched this. Uh, that's the same with fire force. It's like all the split cores. One took a huge break. So yeah, that's one done by studio TMS entertainment manga is the source. Uh, the genres are adventure sci-fi and shonen. And the interesting people behind this one is the creator is Rishiro Inagaki who did, um, creation of ice shield 21. So yeah, this one takes place – and when it starts, it starts in modern time, but it follows Senku who's kind of doing some um, like chemistry stuff at school. And his friend uh, Taiju shows up and says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go confess to Yuzuri uh, Yuriho right now. So he runs out there. She meets him next to a tree somewhere. And then suddenly this big flash of light happens in the long distance and everybody on the planet gets turned into stone. And then fast forward, what was it, 3,000 or some years? Uh, very likely. Very long time. <laughs> 3,000 or so years later, uh, finally, uh, it follows early on, uh, 3,000 years later, Taiju wakes up and he's able to break out of the stone that he was turned into. And he runs into Senku, who has apparently been broke out of the stone for a little while before him and has already started kind of trying to rebuild a place to stay and life. And so what it kind of turns into for that point is Taiju is just – he's just strong. He, he just, he's kind of an idiot, but he's super strong and he's super passionate. He's, he wants to help Senku and he wants to save uh, Yuzuhu, or Yuzuriho. 
And Senku is like the brains. He's just a smart guy. He's always been fascinated by science and everything. And Senku's whole thing is I'm going to basically jump past, you know, millions of years of human evolution and jump right into the deepest depths of science and make us, you know, mankind, you know, evolve in science quicker. And so he's kind of, with his knowledge of modern time, able to kind of try to rebuild mankind from nothing back into the future that he wanted. Because as you kind of find out later, his desire was always to go to space. And as it stands now, he's not going to make it to space because nothing's, everything's kind of reset. So he's got to kind of help civilization get back to that point. So, yep. Trying to find the mysteries of why everybody got turned into stone, which we'll probably never find out in this 24 episodes because I'm sure that's probably way later in the manga. <laughs> but it has been interesting, the idea that it's kind of turned into a rebuilding society kind of show. And the mangaka obviously has a huge love for science because it's pretty much most of the show. So what's your thoughts on Dr. Stone? This one is a show that is absolutely, it, it took me by surprise and it's absolutely grown on me. I, I don't want to say that I was absolutely hyped on it at, at the beginning, but it has definitely made me happy all the way through. I, from, I, it was a little bit slow at the first episode or two, but once it got going and it hit its stride, it's definitely taken hold. It's got a lot of fun characters, a lot of cute ideas or cute characters, a lot of cool ideas. I like the way that they're playing out the um, the science aspect of it, where they're actually digging into it, but not not making it boring per se. But they're just definitely. Make, presenting it in a way that you could learn some really interesting things from a lot of this stuff. So I've had a lot of fun with it. Um, I do like the idea that they're, they've already set up a villain per se. They've already, they're already setting up a, uh, a group that will at some point become a part of the main characters group. So it, they've, they've done a lot of really neat stuff to set up a foundation that should, present us with an interesting story however long they decide to go with it. It's funny because it almost turned into it's turned into kind of politics with um, two ideal systems that are kind of influenced they're influencing the possible masses by their perspective. Technically with Senku it's really him trying to build uh, a nation on the idea, the fascination of the the offerings that he can give them with science. And that's, that's been kind of the huge core part of the, this, the second part. Cause yeah, technically in the first arc, it was really all about, you know, where do we come from and how do we get to where we can get to? And then when it goes into the second arc with the village, it really turns into how can I win these people over with science? And it's really been the huge crucial part of it so far. And I, it's funny. Cause I don't, I don't know why I like the show because Honestly, it feels like it's going nowhere, but yeah. it's going somewhere. And when I think about it, it's like technically ever since what the fourth episode was when they started the the, the village arc, he's been at one location yeah. building modern civilization in this small little area. He's like, oh, here's an episode to making a generator. Here's an episode to making a light bulb. Here's an episode to making uh, a furnace. Here's an episode of making glass. And it's like – Technically, it feels like we've accomplished nothing, but yet 
it works, and I, I really don't know how to say why it works. Yeah, I, I kind of like the characters. I, I like Senku's enthusiasm. Um, I kind of miss some of the characters that have not been around for a long time. The new cast of the characters have been pretty fun in their own right. Um, yeah, it's it's very it's really hard to really put this show in any way, shape, or form because it's it's hard to sell. But I enjoy it. I guess it's really in me seeing the passion of the the creators, the creator in science, because obviously he has a passion for that, and seeing how Senku is kind of portraying that passion and how everybody responds to that passion and that creation, I guess is the big benefit there. Is you're watching him build a sculpture, and then everybody goes, oh, "Look at the sculpture." And maybe that's what the appeal is. That's maybe that's what makes it work. But I am kind of fascinated by, um, and I guess that goes back to whenever I talk about things that are post-apocalyptic. Like when I talk about zombie shows, I don't like zombie shows in particular. I like watching civilization rebuild itself, and that's what this is technically doing. So maybe that's the big draw is watching something being built from nothing, and that's of course, what I always been fascinated with, with those post-apocalyptic stories. So maybe that's what I'm being drawn here and then mix that in with some fun characters that I enjoy kind of watching. And I want to root for them, I guess is the big thing there. So I guess if I can explain it, that's the way I'm going to be able to explain it. I I'm hit and miss on some of the character designs. I technically do don't like, I technically don't like Senku's hair, but I like uh, Kuhaku's. I love Kuhaku's character design. Um, most of the other ones are, are, are pretty solid as well. So very unique character science, I guess. Uh, I love Su- uh, Suika's episode where they gave Suika something, and that was a very beautiful episode. So, yeah. Cool show. I, I Like I said, I kind of look back at it and wonder why where they're going with it, if they've not really gotten anywhere in particular, but I know that they're going somewhere. There's, there's a goal that was set several episodes ago, but there is a sense for me to step back and go, technically, they've gone nowhere. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see more of it in the end. So yeah, they did. They got the stuff from the water. That was a weird episode. I will leave it at that. That was a weird episode. I like a big old warning on that episode. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Stone. Uh, last one we have is Fire Force or Ainen no Shibota Shibotai. This one is streamed on Crunchyroll, slated for 24 episodes. We're on about 10 or 11 or 12, something like that, somewhere around there. Uh, being done by Studio David's Productions, Source of Manga, Action, Supernatural, Shonen. Creator is, of course, Atsushi Okubo, who was the creator of Soul Eater. So, yeah. This takes place in basically Tokyo, current times, essentially. Um, but odd thing here is that a while back, uh, something started happening in the world, which is spontaneous human combustions. People have been turning into fire, uh, seemingly possessed by a demon, and then people have to essentially put them down at that point. Uh, we call we, current times. We follow Shinra, who is currently joining Company Eight, which of many companies who are groups that go out. And while you do have normal firemen that go out there and stop fires, there's also these other groups that will go out there and actually put down people that are spontaneously human combust. Because, like I said, they many of them are seemingly possessed by some kind of demon and they attack people. So yeah, um, the odd thing about it, though, is everybody that are in these kind of groups are have some kind of ability as well, or many of them do have abilities as well. Like, particularly Shinra is able to actually uh, thrust fire from his feet, so he can use that to move really fast or, you know, jump in the air really high or kick really fast. 
Um, other ones can just control flames in their hands. Um, yeah, different forms of it. So, yeah. What's your thoughts on Fire Force so far? This this show is really, really kind of – I like it, and I, re- I, I, I love the artwork. I love the character designs. My the the only thing that I'm having a frustration with is it's 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 starting to lose me on the story versus characters. I'm I it and that's that's the best way I can I can explain it. Leave it for what it is. I I do like it. I wish it would give a little bit more love to the characters. I I it's it's getting stuck in the the world too much and and i want to see somebody start to really pull together and start to shine at some point soon and that's my frustration oddly enough i'm pretty much on the same boat <laughs> <laughs> and you know how much i love world building too it, it what's what's funny is i there's one thing that really grabbed me with this show and i've mentioned it several times on twitter i've mentioned it in our our first impressions is this show does haunting settings really well there was this. There's been two of them now, but there's been these these moments where the characters kind of have to confront some of that's been spontaneous human combust that aren't jumping all over the place and exploding. There are actually people that are still retaining themselves and holding themselves back for the safety of their family. And the show has the characters go in there, and the scene is so haunting because you know what the characters are going through, you know what the the person that's combusted is going through, you know what the family is going through, and it. It just hits me in the gut every time it happens. And I'm like, this is so beautiful. Like, this is hauntingly beautiful. And those are the moments that I'm like, holy crap, this is a really awesome show. This is a really awesome story. This is Atsushi Okubodo doing – or Okubo doing just incredible work. But then over time, the show started expanding to the other companies and to the bigger – plot that somebody is behind the human combustions and it's kind of lost a lot of that like it's lost that that kind of structured very compressed moments to make it more broad and it's it's lost me it's it's just it's gotten so broad it's gotten kind of boring now it still has incredible action scenes incredible animation that david production does completely fours me every time it goes crazy with the action scenes but everything else, world building and everything, is not really all that interesting, and it's not that it's not that diverse, and the characters are kind of getting left behind as it kind of does this expanding of the universe. Now, now, take into consideration the last episode that we watched, uh, unless you went another episode, was it was the one uh, that went to the other company and the guy chucked a bunch of amazingly animated <laughs> darts down the the spontaneously combusted person, exploded half the town, and everybody started cheering. I don't remember what oh, his name I thought, was. Was, I, thought was the, the other. I thought the last episode was where they had uh, went to the chief and said, how did you start uh, Company 8? Oh, maybe that was, yeah. Maybe the last episode was so, the So take that into consideration it, when when you're listening to what we're saying. We're not saying that it's not getting into characters. We're, we're just saying that in the last last a little while, it's gotten lost in the in the world building versus characters. So. Yeah, it was really when they were starting to go to the main facility and and talking about all that stuff. And I don't know. It's just it, – maybe it's because it's been a while since we watched the episode, but I, I still love the characters. It just feels like it keeps walking away from the characters and focusing on a world building that's not all that really interesting, unfortunately. Um, but hopefully – again, this is a mid-season. Hopefully things kind of kick back up again. 
I still no. absolutely love Tamaki. Every time she shows up on the screen, I'm still fighting with myself right now of getting a figure of her um, that looks really fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting with the Nezuko uh, Nendroid, so. <laughs> there you go. It's so, so adorable. Yeah. That's um, that's Fire Force. Uh, I, I guess my other frustration that I have is as much as I love David Productions and their action scenes, everything outside of action scenes feel very – and maybe this is why I'm struggling so much with really kind of connecting with the characters. It feels so empty. And again, maybe that's maybe that's what I'm feeling when, when I feel like I'm being pulled away from the characters is everything feels empty in the environments. The shots are either too far away and very without character, like they're missing faces or something, or it's too close to something and you don't get a perspective of what's happening around you. And so I'm very conflicted with Dave Productions because I'm like, here one second they're showing, you know, Shinra flying over the place and fighting somebody. It looks absolutely stunning. Here you have this fantastic scene where they're all standing staring at this spontaneously combusted person sitting at a table. And then all the other times I feel like the show is so empty because it just doesn't look like there's a living world at their end. And so maybe that's what's causing me to be frustrated with the world as a whole is maybe because it doesn't feel like it's lively because they're – I don't know if they're cutting back or they're trying to be – maybe they're trying to be shafty. It feels very shafty sometimes. Definitely feels shafty sometimes. But it's not shafty in a good way. So I don't know. that. Just something to keep in mind. Other than that, like I said – there's a lot to be had here, and I cannot. I, I want it to do really well. Yeah, we're not. We're not. We're we're just saying that we're we're being honest about our feelings with with how the story is progressing. Otherwise, this is a great show. Hibana Grumi too. She was pretty. She pretty goofy. I loved the the. Um, Ida's story was great. The mocking Ida's story the, was great. The, the, can I can I say before we end? What's that? I was going to say I loved the crying scene. That was just so perfect. <laughs> I just want to say that is anybody actually going to be shocked by what's going to happen with Shinra's family? That, yeah. It, that, was that a surprise to anybody? <laughs> like the moment they showed the big bad, no, the, what I would assume is the big bad guy, I was like, oh, that's that person from Shinra's past. <laughs> It wasn't a shock to anybody, I hope. <laughs> I'm just joking. I just had to throw that in there. Joker, I love his voice. He's so awesome. So yeah, there you go. Uh did you wanna did you wanna give your impressions on uh wasteful days of high school girls? High I can I it, wanna say high yeah. score again. Why the I, hell? I, I've I've only I've I've gotten at least through most of it. I've only missed out on four episodes. I'm I can't wait get to get back to it. There is one big stain on this show, and you could probably guess it right off the bat. It's the main three girls. They suck. I, I That's what I was getting it, from the first few yeah. episodes. There's there's nothing going on when they're they're on there. They have maybe two or three main jokes between them. Now the rest of the cast, and they are adding a lot of cast members. That is absolutely hilarious. We've got uh, Megami. Is that Megami? or Minami. Yeah, uh, she's she's a Chinibio. You've got a uh you got Lily who's kind of a pretty girl and and we'll just leave it at that. I don't her little quirk is a little bit fun. <laughs> you got a uh, 
Saku? Is that what you got there? She is. They they nicked her name. Her uh, Lolly. She's absolutely too fun, uh, too pure. You've got a um, you've got a kind of a girl who's into dark occultic stuff, and she's uh, they call her Majo, and she's just too much fun. All the characters outside of the first three characters, and and don't get me wrong, there is the random occurrence of humor in the first three. They they do do funny things here and there. But the rest of the cast is absolutely hilarious. I love watching them when they, they're doing things. And they do move away from the, the main three here and there. Um, you'll have a... I I love when they do a Majo and um, and the Chunibyo girl. When they get those two together, it's too much fun. Uh, the Chunibyo girl is absolutely terrified of Majo because... Majo is just so dark and it's just too much fun. I, I love this show. I can't wait to get back to it. Pretty much my thoughts that from the first few episodes I watched. So it seems like it's keeping pretty solid. Um, that was my thing. It's like when we first watched the, the first four or so episodes, my thing was like, I like the Chuni girl and they didn't have any enough of this lolly girl. And so that was the two that I actually, they, they do add more characters and each one of them are vastly more and more bizarre. And it just gets more and more crazy as the groups get together. All right. There you go. That's, that's all we have. That's, that's the, that's the summer 2019 anime season. We gave it to you all. We showed you everything. You know what it's all about. You know where to go. You know where not to go. And, um, We'll leave it at that. So, yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed this run-through of the summer 2019 anime season. Look forward to our impressions of the fall 2019 anime season because it never ends. Just more come around the corner. When we get this done, I get everything all wrapped up, put it in a bow, and then we're off to the next one. So, hope you guys enjoyed. And, uh, again, we're at talkaspear.com. You can go there for an anime new and old. Great community in the form links at the top. Social media links on the right side. Thanks, at all, as always, to our Patreon supporters and... As always, for all of our vocal and supportive people on all social medias, you guys are the reason why we do what we do. And uh, we thank you all for listening, and you'll take care. Oh, It's just like a burning torch in a storm Like a little flower bloom in a home君に優しくあればいい。I Again, again,